from the land of conjurers, flying through the net to your device like a UAP. Hauntingly unexplained and downright weird. This is the Witching Hours, and we are ready to take off in the flash of an eye. Good evening to one and all, wherever or whenever you are listening to this program. I am China the Frost, and joining me, as always, is the medium Jenny Lee. How are you doing this evening, Jenny? I'm post-kindergarten substituting today, so I'm tired, you know, but we're go. good. I'm excited. I'm so excited. <laughs> um. <laughs> We're working through all the technical fallout of taking the show on the road. So and your when, computer also I, taking a dump. <laughs> take a, it took a show on the road too. Uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I you know when we went to uh, when we went to Lake Shawnee to do uh, to join uh, Forsaken Souls and their investigation out there. Uh, basically, uh, we had a you know we bought the mobile uh, station, the mobile unit for that, and we. Uh, but I had to rip a lot of things off of the well, mm-hmm. well oiled machine here. And when <laughs> yeah. I, when I came back and plugged it all back into the well oiled machine, it wasn't well oiled anymore. So we'll, we'll get it back to where it is. You can never put everything back in the box. How it came out. Yeah. And that's true. Yeah. And I think at this point, I've just realized we just need to have everything almost separate, just a complete mobile unit in and of itself. So yeah. we'll, get, we'll there. get there. We will get there. That's good. So I hope everyone is having a wonderful evening. It's Thursday. We've almost made it. Tomorrow's Friday and I don't know, around the corner. I imagine uh, holidays and, and breaks and, and hopefully uh, mm-hmm. for all of you, some uh, well-needed relaxation maybe right around the corner. Uh, so uh, we'll get started today. Are we ready to get into some news? Yes, sir. What's right. the news? All right, the first story uh, for tonight is uh, people have been searching for this song from the X-Files for 25 years until now. This I saw this uh, it was either yesterday or today. It was uh, pretty recently. It was a news article that, that struck me. So uh, when you tune into the classic 90s sci-fi series, the X-Files, it's safe to assume mystery is afoot. Typically, it's aliens and other paranormal phenomena. But how often is the show the source of the mystery? Uh, so the saga begins with Lauren and Kona lounging on the couch at her parents' house outside of Philadelphia. She was zoned out on her phone with an old episode of the X-Files playing in the background when a particular tune from the show caught her ear. It was too good to be background, she told NPR, and I paused it and rewind it and was uh, asked what that was. It was an episode from 1998, and the scene in question takes place at a bar in Nevada where a country western love song plays in the background. And she said the lyrics grabbed her attention. Uh, she brought out her phone app to try to get it to identify the song for her because she liked it and nothing came up. So when she looked up the lyrics, she came across a whole bunch of other X-Files fans who had been searching for over 25 <laughs> years to find out what the song was. <laughs> she posted the question on X and it exploded within days. Uh, she got her answer. Composer Rob Kearns came across the viral post and reached out to his friend, who just so happened to be a co-writer behind that song, uh, Dan Marfisi. He said, you might want to check out this Twitter thread, and if you jump in, you will be a hero. So she went, She said she got her cape, <laughs> logged on, and it was a party. It turns out people were having trouble finding the song because uh, Marfisi co-wrote the song with Glenn Jordan for the background specifically for that X-Files scene. So they essentially wrote so a song. So it was just a song just for the <clears throat> episode. 
Yeah, and they, they wrote with the composer, wow. and they had titled it Staring at the Stars. So. I was kind of hoping that it was going to be like <laughs> a Mandela effect. Uh, yeah. you know, oh, yeah. Like a, a yeah. glitch in the Matrix. The song just never really existed. Yeah, the Mandela. Yeah, where did it go? But it's <laughs> yeah. on tape. Uh... <laughs> Oh, but so that's cool. They produced the song, out what it was. Yeah. put it on the show, and so they said uh, they turned it into the show, and that was the end of it. And they said we put it to bed, it went on the show, and here we are 25 years later, and maybe it's a new hit. Well, we'll People want to hear it. There you go. I better get it on the radio. I mean, I think that's one of the things that comes along with streaming and like just uh, the access we have to media now. It's like you never know. Well, that happened with uh, Stranger Things with uh, Running Up the Hill. And, oh, yeah. Okay, you know. Bush. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, and I thought TikTok that was interesting. Just, just revived Rock Around the Christmas Tree. <clears throat> there you go. Yeah. It did. And uh, you got anytime the X-Files makes the news, I feel like, you know, you have to talk <laughs> about it. So. Um, yeah. Second story for tonight is the gigantic hole in the sun wider than 60 Earths is spewing super fast solar winds right at us. So I, I saw know. that. Yeah. Well, we have been talking about the, uh, the solar impending solar maximum and stuff like that lately and more solar flares and stuff like that that were going to happen. An enormous dark hole has opened up on the sun's surface and is spewing powerful streams of unusually fast radiation known as solar wind right at the Earth. The size and orientation of the temporary gap, which is wider than 60 Earths, is unprecedented at this stage of the so solar cycle, scientists say. The giant dark patch on the sun, known as Corona Hole, took shape near the sun's equator 197,000 miles an hour within tw well, 24 hours, spaceweather.com reported. Uh, and since December 4th, the solar void had been pointing directly at Earth. Um, experts initially... I What's up? I saw, I, there's um, an ask, I don't know if he's a, an astronomer or what his actual title is, but um, there's a professor guy that I follow on TikTok, you know, because mm -hmm. I actually like to look at, uh, you know, um, important things on TikTok. Mud cracks. And he was talking about the Perono hole, and uh, he was talking about how, like, the the way the the rays of the sun and the the way that it works is that it's like funneling in on itself sometimes and that's what makes that hole mm -hmm. so it was like actually not really a big deal is no. what he was trying to say yeah but yeah. like people were freaking out about it that yeah it if you were on, apart, if, um, if you were on social media especially especially the things that pop up on my feed uh doing the show it was like uh it was doomsday out there. There are all kinds of pictures yeah. of this hole. And, uh, but one important thing that, that it does kind of signify that it talks about here is that the solar activity has been ramping up all year mm -hmm. as the sun yeah. nears the explosive peak of its roughly 11 year solar cycle known as the solar maximum. Uh, That's what dolls doll S a F just said solar maximum and CMC is going to say it's going to cause a lot of auroras. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, a lot of auroras, uh, maybe issues with radio signals and all kinds of, you know, and it's always been a question about, uh, you know, if we were to get some kind of flares and uh, peak solar activity, it could really wreak havoc on some of our infrastructure. So that's what that's what happened with your muting earlier. It was the Corona hole. That's what it was. Um, <laughs> So in October, to kind of finish it off, it says in October, scientists revised their solar cycle forecast and now predict that the explosive peak 
could begin in early 2024. Okay. So there's a prediction there, oh, yeah. from the scientists going into, so, into the next sci- year. Scientific <laughs> prediction for next year. Yeah. All right. Uh, what's the last story for another, today? Another story I saw uh, for tonight was electrician discovers Ouija boards stuffed inside the wall of a client's house. There's video of this. Hmm. I'll try to post That's it over how, on our Discord. That's how a lot of horror movies start. <laughs> there's, a, there's, a, there's a video. <laughs> Uh, you can look at it for yourself, but uh, a staple of horror movies, as you just said, paranormal yeah. investigations and mediumship sessions. The Ouija board is typically operated by having participants place a finger on a planchette, which they move between the printed letters and words to spell out a message from beyond the grave. While many dismiss, uh, dismiss them as supernatural claptrap, others remain convinced that they are the real de- deal, even warning people against their use and fear of summoning something unnatural. For some, such fears are so genuine that they dare not touch or even set eyes on them. Such was the concern of an apprentice electrician recently when he discovered a thin piece of wood stuffed between two walls while doing work at a client's house. In a video clip he recorded of the incident, he can be seen flipping over the board to discover that it was in fact a Ouija board that someone had hidden in the wall for unknown reasons. His understandable reaction was to immediately return it back into the wall where he found it. Uh, he's heard saying, nope, back in the wall, and in the wall it goes, and he finishes work to cover it back up again. So, was it put there by the owner? Was it there from a previous owner? Or was it all an elaborate uh, social media ruse for his uh, TikTok feed? We'll never know, but uh, yeah, knows. <laughs> that's the way it goes. And then the last short news story I wanted to bring up for tonight was brought to us by our own CMC Airboss. Uh, who yeah. had who uh, shared a video on Discord of uh, three UAPs that were captured live during a YouTube broadcast uh, this past weekend? Uh, you can go there and start the video, and uh, at at one thirty, one minute and thirty seconds, four minutes and thirty seven seconds, and and then later about uh, almost seven minutes, and you see three distinct at separate times, uh, kind of. Oh, well, I guess I would say kind of the. Tic tac like kind yeah. of uh, UFOs that have been all the rage. Um, yes, you can post a video link, CMC. Feel free to put that in chat and tell us what you think. I mean, you know, there's tons and tons of videos out there. I think that one looked as, I don't know, as, as genuine as anything, you know. Uh, it definitely yeah, fits the profile I, I of what's going on. It was <clears throat> just a live feed of the LAX, whatever yeah. they were doing. Yeah, just happened to show up in the background. Yeah, which the context, you know, and I don't watch the live stream and I don't know the people who did the live stream, but I think there's a certain context to it of like, if you see a UFO video taken from a cell phone now and it gets put onto TikTok or it gets put onto YouTube or whatever, you don't understand the context of the video. Yeah, and whether that was like, hey, I'm gonna create a, a fake or whatever, and and. DaVinci Resolve and and put it out there for the world to see. But when you're doing a live stream and it has absolutely nothing to do with UFOs and then all of a sudden it's yeah. like, hey, what was that? Okay. Oh, whoa. What's that? And then you have people filming from different areas. Like they're switching to different feeds and stuff. And mm-hmm. uh, so that was pretty interesting, I thought. I thought it was very interesting. Yeah. And that was the weird news. Yay. A okay. good segue to our guest. <laughs> yeah, very good segue <laughs> into our guest tonight. 
Uh, Preston Dennett began investigating UFOs and the paranormal in 1986 when he discovered that his family, friends, and co-workers were having dramatic unexplained encounters. Since then, he has interviewed hundreds of witnesses and investigated a wide variety of paranormal phenomena. He is a ghost. Uh, he is a field investigator for the Mutual UFO Network, or MUFON, a ghost hunter, a paranormal researcher, and the author of more than 30 books and more than 100 articles about UFOs and the paranormal. Several of his books are Amazon UFO bestsellers. His articles have appeared in numerous magazines, including Fate, Atlantis Rising, MUFON UFO Journal, Nexus Paranormal Magazine, UFO Magazine, Mysteries Magazine, Ufologist, Phenomenon Magazine, Outer Limits Magazines, and more. His writing has been translated into several different languages, including German, Portuguese, French, Russian, and Icelandic. He has appeared on numerous radio and television programs. His research has been presented in the LA Times, the LA Daily News, the Dallas Morning News, and other newspapers. He has taught classes on various paranormal subjects and lectures across the United States. Please welcome to the show tonight, Preston Dennett. Welcome to the show, Preston. Thanks very much. Thanks for having me on. Well, we are super excited to have you on, and there's so much to talk about. Um, I guess the best way to uh, get started tonight, well, actually, just out of curiosity, have you seen, uh, uh, it's kind of making the rounds, um, not just the Tic Tacs, I guess, from this video, I don't know if you've seen that or not, but uh, this is something that's been kind of taking the the paranormal world by storm when it comes to UFOs, all the things with the congressional hearings, uh, kind of what's been your thoughts on that lately? Um, yeah, I mean, definitely there's been a sea change, I think, with this subject. Uh, the congressional hearings have given a lot more legitimacy to it. Um, some people are calling this the first steps towards disclosure. I'm not sure I'm willing to go that far. I think there's still very clear evidence that the cover-up is still in place and our governments are lying and have no plans to be fully truthful and transparent with this subject. I'm a little jaded having been yeah. in this field for so long. But yeah, I mean, a lot more people are now taking this seriously and it's really encouraging to see this being discussed officially as an honest-to-God true subject with validity to it. So that's huge. That alone is amazing. Yeah, we had spent a lot of time talking about that, you know, in our our streams and with each other. And and uh, it, it always kind of seemed like some of it was uh, look over here while there's something else happening over here. But the, I think the one thing that I thought was great that came out of it was them the government making, or at least from what they're saying, who knows if it's really for real or not, that they're not going to be persecuting and ridiculing the people who come out with, you know, as witnesses and want to sh- tell their story of what they saw. So yeah. hopefully, as long as you didn't see actual good. ETs, if you saw a UFO, a sighting, that's fine. If you were taken on board, we're not going to talk about that. Yeah, that's probably true. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah I think there's a limit uh yeah. to what they're willing to talk well then that's happening even now with some of the uh whistleblowers or whatever uh that so, in, intelligence uh people who have come forward there's almost like a line that they don't want to cross i feel like like we can talk about these crafts and and what they could possibly be the government has kind of been wanting to talk about that but not so much well i guess like the biologics and stuff like that that have been discussed that's almost going a little bit too far 
I know, feel it's like. funny to me that they're kind of waffle on what this might even be. <laughs> like, yeah. Extraterrestrial intelligence. I mean, they're ETs. They are aliens. Well, I mean, what? how much evidence do you need? I do yeah. think we have the crashed vehicles and the bodies. It's not just Roswell, the Roswell crash of Mexico, New Mexico in 1947. Mm -hmm. uh, there's so many others. And Grush is just one in a long, long line of whistleblowers and Fravor and Graves, many, many high-level military witnesses. So it was interesting to hear them talk when the congressional members gave them a chance. Yeah. They did most of the talking. But still, mm -hmm. some really strong rhetoric. They said UFOs are real. There is a cover-up. The Pentagon isn't cooperating. Some of us oh. have seen UFOs, which I thought was amazing. But then he said, and it made me angry a little bit, said, yes, some of us members of Congress have seen UFOs, but I'm not going to name names. I thought to myself, oh. well, wait a second, where's the truth and transparency? Mm -hmm. Name names. You just said you want truth. Lay it out. Yeah. <laughs> no, I, I agree. I, I think there was some really interesting things that happened. And uh, listening to the testimony, uh, it was almost surreal. I, there was like moments that where it just seemed mm -hmm. like, is this really happening? But then at the same time, I kind of go where you were going, Shani, of like, because I, I asked myself in, in, in the moment when I was happening, I said, you know, is this disclosure? Like, are we seeing disclosure? Yeah. And now when I look back on it, I said, you know, it's like, I, I, I don't know what it is. I, even right now, I don't know. I don't really know what. Yeah. What it is. And I, I don't know if it's like you say, uh, a life, you know, a, a lifetime or a long time uh, of kind of being jaded by. uh by government cover-up, or um, is this something new? Is this something different? Yeah, I don't I know. Think to me, the end game of disclosure would be show us the craft. You know, let's see the Roswell craft in the museum. Show us the bodies. Let us touch it. Let this be absolutely indisputable, conclusive. You cannot pull you know, back on this. Uh, and we're not seeing that. So this was all talk, no action, as far as mm -hmm. I'm concerned. Yes. Yeah, I guess that's a good way to look at it. There was a lot of talk. But there's mm -hmm. always been a lot of talk. So the next step is, is to is is to to provide that evidence. And and they still yeah. aren't willing to go there necessarily because it's like, well, we know that it's not. Uh, we know that it's not uh, U.S. craft, and we know that it's probably not Russian craft or Chinese craft. And it's going okay. So what does that mean? Like you know, yeah. and, and they but they just won't say the what words. It is. <laughs> no. yeah. They don't say it. And, and just to go back to your news story, if I find a Ouija board in the wall of my house. It's going out. I'm not putting it back in. <laughs> not it back no, 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 no. Yeah, why would you put it back in the wall? Exactly. That, that would freak me. <laughs> I've used the Ouija board a few times, of course, the paranormal research, which is all connected to UFOs. And I've talked to some people who had some real, honest-to-God, horror stories with it that led to bad hauntings. Yes. So, no, yeah. the Ouija board has got to go. I, okay. I, I, would, I would agree. I don't think it should go back in the wall. So yeah. there's a foot. Maybe we can do a poll now later. Who would, uh, yeah. who would put the Ouija board back? Who would, uh, <laughs> send it out and maybe who would, uh, take it out who's, and, and get the plant shot out and go along. <laughs> who's burning the whole house down to burn it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Speaking of weird well, news so stories, I saw someone, they made a Ouija board the size of like a basketball court. <laughs> And the pointer itself was the size of a car. I'm like, what are you going to do? Sit on that? Oh, <laughs> wow. <laughs> mm -mm. Crazy. No, that could summon a huge demon. <laughs> <laughs> we 
We only That's went small, yeah. Small demons. We are just fought little demons. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I wanted to know how what you thought about them changing the terminology from UFO to UAP. Yes. Mm. Oh, thank you. I hate it. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> no, no. I think it's another diversionary tactic. And yeah. let's just start from the beginning. UFO is not a great term. Unidentified mm -hmm. flying object, which I think now has become synonymous with extraterrestrial craft. But it could be anything. And when one of these things lands, it's definitely not flying. And if someone's taken on board, are we really going to call it unidentified? Because you are mm -hmm. surrounded by it. There's no chance of misperception. Mm -hmm. So it's a terrible term that we began with you know, from the beginning. And UAP is even worse and really no different. Yeah. Um, I don't understand what the tactic is there other than to just sort of you know, pull, make it even more confusing. Mm -hmm. uh, no, I'm I not guess, a fan. You know, sometimes when words start to have too much of a certain connotation as Americans, we just want, we just like to change it so we can pretend like it's something else. <laughs> But it's yeah. really just the same thing. So what would you, what would be your preferred term for it? Uh, I still like UFO because it's easy. It's understandable. I think we all know what it means. Yeah. You know, when they came out with UAP, it made me laugh because, you know, people sometimes say, oh, ufology. You're, you're a ufologist. Mm -hmm. But if you put that up to UAP, what does that make you? A U-apologist? <laughs> oh. <laughs> or U-apology? Yeah. So, <laughs> Um, oh, yeah, I would goodness. just call them extraterrestrial craft. And as yeah. far as you know, people say abductions, I don't like that word. It's very negative. Mm -hmm. And some of the people I interview, a good, I would say most of them don't like it either. Mm -hmm. So I call that an onboard experience. Mm. Uh, contactee, I think that's a better term than oh, abductee. Contact. Yeah. Contactee. Uh, some people use the word experiencer. I'm like, well, yes. you know, it's okay, <laughs> but we're all an experiencer of something. So it's very not true. a very definitive term. Mm -hmm. um, we're mm -hmm. suffering from semantic disaster in this field. Yeah. And uh, I well, get words, it. I mean, I mean, words are hard. I'm sure, as you know, as a person who's written 30 some books, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. but figuring out what the right words are for things sometimes can be. Well, it's very so difficult. funny when I'm, well, not funny, but. It's certainly interesting to me when I interview people who've been taken on board a craft and are trying to look for words to describe things they've never seen before mm -hmm. or maybe not have heard of, like telepathy. You know, not everyone has heard of that term. And people will tell me, you know, it's they were talking in my head. I don't know how to describe it, but I could hear yeah. them inside my head, but it wasn't with my ears. I'm like, oh, telepathy. Yeah. What's so, it Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, to go back to that, too, like the, what I thought about when they changed the term, I liked it at first because I read an article when I, like the first time I heard them switch it to UAP. And I was reading an article probably about when they started talking about the, the congressional hearing that was going to happen. Um, <clears throat> they had designated as uh, unidentified aerial phenomena. And then I had seen another thing that had a USP, so unidentified submersive phenomena. And I was like, well, that I explained that to Jenny and I was like, I'm okay with them making that distinction. But here lately, I've, I, I guess I had that wrong and it changed again because the, the UAP USP thing is done. It's like unidentified. It's not uh, aerial. 
I don't, I don't know. It, they, they've changed it. So no. the, the reason I did like it evidently isn't what it is anymore. Yeah, well, I've heard unidentified um, aerial objects, UAO, mm. unidentified aerial vehicle, UAV, um, USO, of course, being unidentified submersible object. Yeah. And I mean, we're, we're beginning to load up on terms here. <laughs> exactly. And they're all really the same thing. Yeah. It's a, it's a craft. You know, I'm a, a big believer that that's what we're dealing with. I know there's a lot of theories bouncing around as to what the origins of mm. UFOs are. But I think the extraterrestrial theory, and I hate to even call it that, because I think we have enough evidence to conclude what it is. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that best explains the totality of the evidence. Because, um, yeah, perhaps they are interdimensional, but who isn't? We are mm-hmm. interdimensional. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, perhaps they can time travel or time travel, but that doesn't preclude them from being extraterrestrial. Very true. Uh, so there's, yeah. A, yeah. Well, there's I guess. There's still lots of questions. <laughs> yeah, there is. There is. And mm-hmm. uh, yeah, that is for sure. Um, I guess a good way to start with this, uh, to kind of, uh, kind of go back, and and and, and uh, let the audience kind of know like how how did you get started in the field and in your ufo research and and how, like how did that progress for you to get interested enough to do all the work that you've done there yeah well it's kind of interesting because i was repulsed by the subject i hated it i didn't think there was anything to it and i honestly thought the people who believed in ufos were not educated <laughs> or were misperceiving. You know, I bought the Air Force line from Project Blue Book. All UFO encounters can be explained as one of three mm-hmm. things. It's either a hoax, a hallucination, or a misperception. And that's what I believed growing up, even watching shows like In Search Of, where they interviewed people, or it would appear every now and then on TV. But I just, you know, I was very scientifically, rationally minded. And I know how far away the stars are. I'm a huge astronomy fan. Mm. I just couldn't conceive of it. But, of course, that did all change. And lucky for me, I was pretty young. I was 21 years old, 1986. And a report came on the news. I remember the day, actually. It was November 17, 1986. There had been a really amazing sighting over Alaska, a Japanese commercial airliner. Captain Kenju Tarochi and his crew saw this UFO pacing their craft for a long time. It was a great sighting. I mean, it was onboard, radar caught it, multiple witnesses, they requested a course change, this craft still followed them. A really good sighting. But the news came on and they just laughed about it. Showed yeah. the pilot, yeah. kind of joked at him and moved on. They showed, they showed the pilot and I thought, that poor man, <laughs> he's yeah. deluded. He must be seeing a reflection off the ice cap. And I'm thinking all of this without any evidence to support my theory whatsoever. But I thought, he's going to throw away his job. Why would he do that? What an idiot. And of course, he, he was grounded. I found yeah. out later, reporting UFOs, if you're a pilot at that time, was not something you did. So he got in some deep water for that. But at any rate, it interested me. And I started thinking about it, and I remembered that my older brother, Mark, who's, you know, six years older than me, uh, had said he'd seen a UFO. I was like 14 years old, and he comes running into the house, maybe 13, around there. And it's like, I just saw a UFO. 
me and my friends. It was a treetop or telephone pole level. I'm like, Mark, just shut up. <laughs> UFOs aren't real. I possibly have seen one because they don't exist. And I didn't listen to him. And I regret that now because after hearing this report in the news, I asked him about it. He gave me this look. <laughs> like, really? You want to hear now? I'm like, yeah, <laughs> tell me. And he described this amazing sighting. In brief, mm -hmm. it was he and his two friends, Phil and Greg, were driving down Reseda Boulevard. That's outside of L.A. where I lived. And they, it was that night, and they saw what they thought very briefly was a helicopter, but it made no sound. And it was quite close, you know, a couple hundred feet away from them. And it was metallic, little, it was a classic saucer. Little mm -hmm. lights around it, a dome on top. Mm -hmm. uh, and it started to move away, so they chased it in their car down Reseda Boulevard for 15 minutes. Passing other cars were also, you know, hanging out the window and looking at it. Mm -hmm. and so he told me all this. And I'm like, Mark, are you, sh you know, I knew he wasn't lying. <laughs> he, you know, I, he's my brother. Yeah. And it was pretty clear to me he wasn't misperceiving or hallucinating. <laughs> so I was at a loss. I'm just kind of looking at him like this, can't, can't believe what I'm hearing. And he said, I'll give you Phil and Greg's number, his friends. If you want to talk to them, they'll back me up. And of course I did, and they did. And that's what opened the door for me. And boy, did I get a shock when I found out that two of my sister-in-laws, or future sister-in-laws, uh, had seen UFOs. Uh, one saw greys in front of Stag Street Elementary School, gray aliens. Wow. <laughs> and, and yeah, she didn't tell me that at first. She just told me this. <laughs> but I had a... You know, we had family friends, of course, and one of them, Sylvia was her name, a flight instructor, a good witness, described this incredible sighting. She had a, uh, another corroborating witness with her. Another family friend, Mark Grant, had a close-up sighting with, I believe, missing time, though that kind oh, of wow. escaped me when I first talked to him. And stupid me brings it up at work, <laughs> because I was, I was starting to lose my mind with this. Uh, <laughs> and, I, you know, I was buying books, thinking, I'm going to disprove these guys. It's swamp gas. Of course, the books did not say that. And I found out this had been studied for decades. And scientists and high-level military officials were taking it seriously. And there was a cover-up and so on. So I bring it up at work. And I won't use the lady's name, but I worked her desk was right next to mine. I'll call her Diane. Okay. <laughs> uh, because I ended up writing about her, and her case was pretty extensive. <laughs> but she's like, oh, yeah, UFOs? Me and my whole family saw one. I'm like, wow. Okay, what did you see? <laughs> what did you think you saw? And she described this star-like light that would dart across the sky for hours, you know, stopping and then turning at right angles and going from horizon to horizon. I tried to convince her it was a helicopter, and she just laughed at me like, no, no, no. You, I'll, you know, my daughter is picking me up. You can talk to her, which, of course, I did. So it was a long sighting, and this is when kind of my belief system collapsed. Dorothy walks in, and I love Dorothy because she's unfiltered and just body and funny and outgoing. And she says, oh, UFOs, one followed me home from the library when I was a kid. Mm. Dorothy, what are you talking about? <laughs> and she's like, no, 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 really. And she described the whole story. She was just like 13 years old or 12 and had snuck out of the, you know, they were at the library and snuck out five minutes before it closed to smoke a cigarette before their mom picked them up. <laughs> so they know exactly what time it is. And that's important to the story. Mm -hmm. 
So they're there at 855 smoking a cigarette on the front steps of the P.O. Pico Library in Koreatown, a part of L.A., which is densely populated. I went down to that library, you can bet I did, to look, (laughs) check it out. (laughs) And uh, she said, there's this star-like light that dropped out of the sky and hung over the telephone wires across the street. And it was a classic silver disc. Wobbling. It had little lights all around it. And uh, no portholes or anything. But she's describing this, and her friend Carol saw it too. I ended up interviewing both of them and her mother because wow. her mother drives up and they all see it. They're like, the flying saucer. And it's 100 feet away. So she freaks out. So get in the car. And they race home. Well, they live five minutes from the library. And this darn craft followed them home over their car. Wow. And the mom's freaking out, and the kids are, like, really excited. (laughs) They rush into their home and go to the upstairs and look out the window, and it's still there in the front yard. It does back and forth, back, and then goes up at a 45-degree angle. It's smaller and smaller. It's a tiny little star, and it disappears up into outer space. And that's when Carol turns and looks at the clock. She's like, Dorothy, look at the clock. It's 10.15. What happened to the time? Oh, wow. So oh. Dorothy's, yeah, Dorothy's looking yeah. at me, telling me this. She's I, you know, I don't know what happened to the time. And me, you know, being an unexperienced, mm-hmm. re, well, I'm not even a researcher at this point. I'm like, Dorothy, you are abducted. <laughs> She's like, what? <laughs> I, don't, I don't do that, not a witnesses. You know, I don't, you know, you approach yeah. it a little bit more tactfully. <laughs> like, what are you talking about? I'm like, you had missing time. Because I just bought Bud Hopkins' book, Missing Time which at that time was a hardback by a small publisher, not this huge runaway bestseller that it ended up later becoming. And yeah, I said, I think you might have had a more extensive encounter than you remember. And it turned out her friend Carol had had a bunch of experiences and that they were following her around and clear she was the target. Mm. But yeah, I interviewed all of them. And that's, I mean, that was it. My belief system collapsed. Yeah. I was upset for a year, and I bought every darn book I could find. I joined MUFON, the Mutual UFO Network, once I found them. And I'm like, okay, they have a newsletter. I want all your newsletters going back to when you were founded. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, I dive deep into this. It's interesting I- that you were 14 and you didn't have the experience, but your brother did. And it's like it comes into your awareness at that time. Almost like they're like, hey, Preston, we're trying to get your attention. And then it takes all those years until finally you're like, okay, you know. Yeah. Yeah. I wasn't ready. You know, I just discovered science fiction and that definitely helped. I'm a huge sci fi fan. Yeah. But even that was, it was a lot to take in. I was not a happy camper. I was really upset because it wasn't taught in schools, it wasn't being taken seriously. Mm-mm. My friends and family had lied to me, my coworkers. That's the way I looked at it. Like, you didn't mm. tell me this. How could you not tell me this? Everyone needs to know this. This is a big deal. Yeah. But it wasn't so easy to say those things back then. Even, I mean, not like it is today, but even then. It's now. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I cleared many a room at a party. Like, oh, these guys. My family thought I'd lost my mind. And we did have a, to, <laughs> well, that's why, we that's why we have a ha- question. Oh, go ahead. 
We do have a question before we get too far away from the subject of having a hard time believing it. Mm -hmm. Um, Apple Burrito (laughs) wanted to ask, why do people always immediately react as if the possibility of extraterrestrial activity is completely out of the realm of possibility? That's a wonderful question. And I think because, you know, and I thought hard about this. I mean, what's so hard to believe about this? Look at the stars outside. How many Mm. do we know? I mean, could we possibly be alone? That would be even more scary. But I think the reason is honestly because of the government cover-up. There's been a very concerted, well-orchestrated, well-funded cover-up of UFO information across the board. Mm-hmm. And, you know, with our tax dollars, by the way. Yeah. Uh, and it's been very effective. And it's they've worked very, very hard, a lot of time, money, and effort to make UFO witnesses look like fools, idiots. And at this point, over three generations, four generations of people. Yeah, Yeah. been very effective. To even today, people are like, "Where's the evidence?" I'm like, "You haven't done your homework." Skeptics at this point have have not done their research. I don't mean Mm -hmm. to be rude about it, but honestly, you need to do your research before you start making statements like "There's no evidence" Mm -hmm. because there is. Well. You know, and, and, and I think what you were just talking about uh, brought up an example for me, and that's that this whole thing really is a shared experience um, where we've talked about this before. Um, you were talking about the party and, and clearing the room, and that's one of the reasons we started doing this show because, you know, Jenny would be like, we'd be at a party and, and someone would say, you know, Jenny would say, okay, it's time to head home. And she would find me in the corner, you know, talking about UFOs or, 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 or ghosts or, or whatever, uh, to somebody at the party. And, uh, you know, I could just talk about it for hours and hours and hours. And when you first bring those subjects up, a lot of time people are people like, oh yeah, I don't believe in that. And I don't believe in this. And you're kind of the weird guy at the party, or at least I was. And, and then, so all of a sudden, you're like, and then all of a sudden oh, well, you know, this one time. Exactly. <laughs> and, and, yep. and that's all the, even the people who sometimes are the most uh, fanatical mm-hmm. about uh, not believing in it still have that still have an experience or someone they were close with who they can talk and share their experience. And, and your story made me uh, remember one of mine, uh, but the, talking about the UFO that was chasing uh, kind of going over the car. And, mm-hmm. uh, uh, my grandmother, uh, had an experience like that, uh, a very no nonsense kind of woman. She was, uh, retired as a school teacher. Uh, and when she was a young woman, um, I want to say early fifties, uh, was driving down Portsmouth Boulevard in the back of a vehicle, like facing backwards with her, with her parents, even though she was an adult at the time. And, uh, and told me several times the story of the, of the, a saucer going down the street uh, following their car. And she said, you know, I'm not an idiot, a college educated, uh, woman, uh, from that period of time too. And then, uh, they were leaving the laundromat and, and it, it followed them all the way down Portsmouth Boulevard. And she talked about the saucer shape and it had lights that were flashing on it. And, you know, so it's like, what am I supposed to tell this woman who, it helped educate me mistook it for the moon. Yeah. You know, I mean, this is yeah. a real experience that somebody had, you know? Yeah. It's so funny because yeah, that would happen to me all the time at work. You know, 
I get lots of eye rolling and sighs and kind of uncomfortable silences. And then they come up to me in private. <laughs> so, you know, yeah. I didn't want to tell you while everyone was around, but this happened to me Yeah, so, all the time. I think it's far more common than people realize. But again, this cover up has mm -hmm. really done a number on the public. Absolutely. Yeah. So you actually talked about, you were talking about the one uh, that happened near, uh, near a school. And uh, uh, we were looking at the, um, the one case recently that I know happened in Africa in the schoolyard. Um, and I saw that you uh, had written about that too. How, did, did, that seems to be a place where uh, there's been lots of contact in, in schoolyards and, and things of that nature. Sure. Yeah. I started getting my own cases pretty early on. And that first one, my sister-in-law, um, this, I mean, by perhaps coincidence, it was in front of a school because this was at night and no one was there really. Mm -hmm. She's just walking down the sidewalk near her home in Van Nuys and saw what she thought were two children standing under the floodlight in front of Stag Street Elementary School and walking with her dog, Sarah. And the dog didn't react at all, but she walks right up to these two quote, kids staring at them because they're bald. They're, all, they're mm. all facing each other, almost kissing, but not wearing olive green jumpsuits. And she's looking down at their feet and they're like floating an inch off the ground. And they turn and look at her. And she realizes they have huge heads, big, dark eyes, you know, a tiny little nose and mouth, grays, you know, grays as we know them. Mm -hmm. And she said it was like being woken up when you're awake. Off she went walking as fast oh. as she could without panicking and running away. And then I interviewed a guy who had missing time on the playground in Hawthorne, uh, again in California, when he was a kid. He's had a lot of experiences, but I didn't really think much of it. You know, it's just another case that I was researching. Then that Zimbabwe case mm -hmm. came out at Ariel Elementary School in November of 1994. Mm, where, yeah. in brief, for those of you who don't know about it, the 200 kids on the playground and at least 60 or 70 of them see this UFO land and um, some of them see ETs come out and communicate with them telepathically. It's a big, big case. And yeah. I thought, wow, that's amazing. There's that other one in Australia. And I instantly thought of what happened at Melbourne, Australia at Westall High School in 1966, April of 1966, where a UFO landed next to the school. <laughs> And some three or four hundred kids and teachers saw it. Wow. Mm. I'm like, gosh, that's amazing. There's two schoolyard cases. Wait, there's another. Yeah. I vaguely remembered something happening in Florida. And I had to look it up. It was at Opelika, Florida, at Crestview Elementary School. Get this, because there's this weird timing to these schoolyard encounters. One year to the day of after Westall, uh, Crestview Elementary School had UFOs land next to the school. 200 <laughs> teachers, students saw it. Uh, the military showed up just like at Westall and cut the school day short. And kids were told to go home. Uh, those who could walk or bike home were sent home. And the others were basically put on the school bus. And there was a big cover up and explanations issued. Mm -hmm. There was helicopters and so forth. Yeah, I've never heard of that one. Yeah, well, it's pretty well known, too. Wow. So, and here, you know, here I am, a researcher for, what was it, like 30 years at this point, when I started really digging into this. The 
Africa case, Zimbabwe mm. was just gaining more and more traction over the years and getting more popular. Then I thought, oh gosh, there's that case in Broadhaven, Wales, another elementary school, mm -hmm. UFOs landing. Yeah. This was like 77 or so, about some ETs coming out. I thought, well, Hillsdale College, that's a school. That was <laughs> one, one of the most famous cases in Michigan. <laughs> just uh, keep coming. Was, and that was two weeks before Westall High School in Australia. Wow. And when that happened, you know, 87 students and teachers and police officers, it hovers for two hours, it actually lands. A huge case. It's what basically pulled Jayon Hynek into becoming a serious researcher. And mm -hmm. it, it dissolved Project Blue Book. It was a mess. That's when the whole swamp gas yes. fiasco came from. And it ended up at congressional hearings. It was a big deal. But this is so interesting. Because Jim and Coral Lorenzen, who are my heroes in this field, the first civilian investigators really of any importance, said, we have a bunch of schoolyard encounters. This is a thing. It's going to happen again. And of course it did two weeks later in Westall High School. But John Keel said, oh, yeah, I've got cases where they're landing at schools after Hillsdale happened. And real quick, Raymond Fowler who, you know, Betty Andreessen fame and the Allagash abductions, uh, said he had 15 unexplained cases up to that point. This is April. And uh, no, it's March, actually. In, so just three months. And he says 15 unexplained cases, eight took place at schools. So I started freaking out. I'm like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to figure this out. <laughs> I found 100 cases after digging through the databases and the newspaper articles and uh, all the you know, books I could find, because you can see I've got a lot of them. Yes, you do. Um, I bet that's yeah. probably not even all of them. No, it goes up. You can't <laughs> yeah. see the rest. <laughs> but yeah, I found 100 cases and I found something wow. really interesting, which is that there's nothing like this in the UFO literature. Mm -hmm. In terms of there being very widely viewed daylight encounters. Uh, there's no, no other cases quite like this. You know, I looked at sporting events and concerts, and there's a few, mm -hmm. but not 100. You know, it's closer to 200 now. These are very low-level, long-lasting, widely viewed accounts. By that, I mean it's 40 or 50 people. It's kind of on the low end. And but mostly really children, right? Yeah, but also adults yeah. who are educated. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Over half of the cases do involve adults, just so mm -hmm. we know that it's not just kids telling stories. Well, I was, I was <laughs> thinking, uh, you know, what's the purpose of them coming to talk mm. to the children? Yes. And, you know, from what I've seen about the Zimbabwe case, it seemed like they were trying to give helpful information to children about what we need to do with our planet. Did you find did you find that that was true in other cases as well? People, communication to that degree is not super common in these cases. Mm -hmm. I did find that half the cases were at elementary schools, which was significant, I think, because that those are our youngest children who are very, you know, unpolluted by cultural yep. beliefs and great witnesses. Mm -hmm. They're like sponges. Mm -hmm. So um, no, not a whole lot of communication. I honestly think what it was 
is, is a very effective publicity campaign. Because that's what they are doing. We see this. UFO researchers have noticed for a long time that the UFOs put on what we call displays. They want to be seen. Often they are elusive and evasive and, you know, you can't track them down. And there's not a whole lot of evidence in most cases, I should say. Yeah. Uh, but with these schoolyard cases, they clearly want to be seen. Mm-hmm. So I think it's a very effective method to sort of go to the source and mm-hmm. let's convince the kids when they grow yeah. up, <laughs> it'll be a complete change of attitude. And it has yeah. been. Almost you know, most- like they're like, here's your disclosure. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, I'm so glad you used that yeah. word because people are saying, where's disclosure? Well, here it is. Yeah. There it is. And it has happened. So, yeah, I think that that is ultimately the purpose of it. And one more thing real quick, another statistic, which blew my mind because, you know, daylight sightings of, in and of themselves are pretty rare and low level. But one third of the cases at, at schoolyards involve landings and or humanoids. So this is like undeniable. And there's photographic evidence mm-hmm. and what's called angel hair, a little kind of wispy mm-hmm. substance. I mean, I'd have heard of it, but it's kind of like cotton candy or mm-hmm. spider webs. It dissolves very quickly and it comes off of UFOs on rare occasions. Mm. Like, boy, some schoolyard cases have that in mm, loads of it. But wow. photographs and landing traces and physiological effects and all the kind of evidence we see. Well, that so, brings up an interesting question about that, because at these schoolyards, we get lots of landings. Um, but typically, you know, you hear about uh, seeing crafts in flight or crashed vehicles. Uh, are there, is that as common in other cases to actually have uh, a landings that people witness outside of the schoolyards? Um, well, you know, landings... Um, are not nearly as common. The most common by mm-hmm. far, I'm going to say 80 or 90% is a simple, what we would call a close encounter of the first kind, a sighting. Mm-hmm. Your average sighting is at night. It's very brief. There's like four witnesses. It's an anomalous light. Mm-hmm. It might stop and hover or dart, and then it's off. And then seeing a structured craft, um, that's much less common. And seeing something yeah. during the day is less common. Yeah, uh, there are still a good several thousand landing cases on record, but we're approaching a million <laughs> documented cases of sightings and encounters in general. So, yeah, landings are pretty rare, I would say, daylight landings especially, but not as rare as you might think, because here's the problem. Nobody's talking about it. Yeah, very few people will report their sighting and the closer it gets, the less likely you are to report it. I always ask oh. people when I interview them, so who did you call? You know, did you call the police? Did you call the yeah. Air Force? Did you call MUFON? Like, no. no, I wouldn't call the police. What's yeah. MUFON? <laughs> yeah, one in exactly. Yeah, one in a hundred will report it. Yeah. So yeah. Let's think of all the things that aren't being reported. Most, most yeah. of it. And when you think about, you know, MUFON over the years, average is about 20 sightings a day, 10, you know, five to 20. Mm-hmm. You could times that by 100. How many UFO yeah. sightings is that per day? Oh, or New Fork, the National UFO Reporting Center. And those are just the two here in the U.S. Mm-hmm. So when you think about it, probably there, this is, a, you know, hundreds of sightings per day 
since the modern age of UFOs, 1947 and onward. Well, those numbers have those numbers have to be astronomical, Preston. Because what I'm what I tell you might might make you mad, but uh, and <laughs> I don't want to share the whole story because I've told it in here probably three or four times already. But uh, it, you know, I you know, I've been interested in this topic. You know, anything supernatural and paranormal uh, since I was a teenager, at least. And uh, when I was about 19, this is going all the way back to 1999. I was working a night shift security job in Richmond, Virginia. And long story short, uh, I went out on top of a roof. I was training a new guy. We went out and normally I wouldn't have gone out on this roof on this taller building. I was about six, maybe six floors. Um, I went out on top of the roof. I normally wouldn't have gone, but I I needed to because I was training a new guy. And uh, I went out on the roof and we walked out and I looked up into the sky and I saw a blue, kind of like the color of a blue flame. And it was a boomerang shaped and it just hovered up above the city. And, uh, I've sat there and watched it kind of going, well, what in the world could this be? And my first reaction was, well, I'm, it's a comet. Cause it's got like that flame color to it, but it just hovered in the sky. It wasn't going anywhere. And I sat there and stared at it. And by the time I was getting ready to say something about it, it just took off in the flash of an eye. And, uh, the guy that I was training, I looked over at him and I, by the expression on his face, I could tell that he saw it as well. And we kind of shook our head at each other and uh, made a, uh, made a brief mention of like, wow, that was crazy or that was weird or something like that. And then I, we walked and finished the thing and we never said anything else about it. Um, <clears throat> I don't know if he lasted cause I don't remember running into him again or, or working with him for very long, but I never reported it. Um, and cause it just wasn't, it was like, well, I don't know what I saw. I don't want to report. You know, I don't want to make more out of it than what it was. So even someone like me who was kind of into uh, uh, UFOs and the stories and the paranormal and, you know, listening to Art Bell and all that kind of stuff back in back in those times, I didn't report it. So if I didn't report it, I can only imagine how many other people have had sightings that, like you said, didn't know where to report it. But even if they did, just were like, well, I don't want to make more out of it than I need to kind of thing. Yeah, which is so funny to me because I hear that all the time and people will say, well, I checked the newspapers the next day and there was nothing. I'm like, yeah, of yeah. course, there's nothing. None of you are reporting it. Yeah. And there's some guy who does report it who's so looking for corroboration. He's like, well, I'm the only one who saw it. I'm like, only one saw I don't it. think so. So it's a real yeah. problem. And this is, again, why I'm so mad at our own governments or shouldn't really blame our governments. It's They're not fully behind the cover up. It's you know, the highest levels of the military and the military industrial complex. And, mm-hmm. yeah. Oh, yeah, but it's, that's the um, purpose, right? Like if you can ridicule people enough and, and, and make them out yeah. to be crazy, then you can even have people who are interested in the topic, not feel like it's maybe best that they don't make a report. Yeah. Which is, you know, understandable. I wish we had handled this differently, you know, because the Roswell crash when that happened in 1947 did have a press release. Yeah. And it almost changed history if mm-hmm. they retracted it. But if it had gone the other way, just think today, you know, you'd hear the weather on the news and like this many people were taken on board and this many people, 400 yeah. sightings today. And, <laughs> mm-hmm. and it would be a completely different thing. Yeah. I and mean, we might have open official contact mm-hmm. at that point, but mm, not so sure with our warlike ways and all the divisiveness Mm -hmm. and the greed and the corruption that's choking our society. 
Well, that was one of my questions in my list here is, do you think we'll have full open contact? Eventually, at some point, uh, because it's true, for one thing. Um, And I think ultimately, at some point, there will be a disclosure because this is a true phenomena. And you can't hide the truth forever. Mm -hmm. You can distort it. You can cover it up. You can lie about it. uh, But you can't destroy it. It's indestructible. And there are so many stars and ETs visiting us. I mean, there's a lot more of them than us. At some point, yes. Disclosure and open official contact will happen. Uh, I don't know. I'm not holding my breath, honestly, mm-hmm. because I just don't know that it would be best for us at this point. I feel like I'm ready. Yeah. I feel like most people are ready. Uh, but on the other hand, until we start electing leaders who are willing to be truthful and transparent and put you know, the people's interest ahead of their own, I am not so sure that they're willing to you know, disrupt society to that degree, uh, but they have because it done. would be it would be a disruption. I mean, do you, I mean, do you think do you think that that's something the general world population could handle if 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 there was uh, disclosure sure. soon that we could get through it without some kind of fundamental failure of 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 us of our systems? Oh, there's going to be a lot of surprise people. <laughs> yeah, I think no doubt. You know, for particularly those who are perhaps entrenched in a fundamental skepticism or religious belief system that doesn't mm-hmm. have room for things like this. Yeah, uh, it's. I mean, because I was kind of in that. You know, I wasn't particularly religious, but I was skeptic. Mm-hmm. And if, I, if something like that had happened, yeah, I would have had a hard time with it. Because just finding out it was real, very peripherally, you know, I didn't even see something, and I was upset. Mm-hmm. So yeah, yeah, there's gonna it's gonna upset people if that happens, mm-hmm. or when that happens, I should say. Yeah. But I absolutely think we could handle it. We're mm-hmm. very resilient people. Mm-hmm. Truth is truth. Uh, I think it's a mistake to live in delusion and ignorance. That yeah. doesn't help anybody. No. Uh, so I think you know we <laughs> all kinds of stuff. You know, whether it's a the, look at the Black Death in the Middle Ages, that yeah. was hard to deal with. Or the whole nuclear, you know, arms race, really hard to deal with. But we've, you know, we're still here and we're, we're slowly progressing and beginning to grow up. I think we can handle it. I think most people are ready. Yeah. yeah. I just think we're at a point where there's so much going on <laughs> with the greed and the corruption with our own governments. Mm-hmm. Well, there was yeah. there was cover up during the during the plague as well. <laughs> we can't get into it another time. Oh, yeah. but the, they people started figuring out how to stop that from happening, but the the, the church wouldn't allow it. The church, yes. Yeah, mm. I don't know so what's so hard there. about telling the truth. Yeah, I mean, it's not hard mm. to do. It's a lot easier than lying. Mm. The years might change, but people don't. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so let's see. I got so many questions here. Okay. So you have like an unbelievable amount of books that you have written based on investigations into people's experiences. And I was wanting to know from uh, perhaps, you know, one of your favorite wonderful stories about an interaction with the ET where it was something beneficial or 
or uh, positive? Because, you know, we always hear the scary stuff. Like, what's something that's wonderful and it's in a wonderful experience someone had? Well, most of it in my mind is wonderful. And yes, there's a lot of fear surrounding this subject. And I bought into that. You know, like, oh my gosh, they're abducting people against their will. These are bug eyed creatures, no emotions, and they're experimenting on people. And I started getting healing cases right off the bat. I'm like, okay, this is being misrepresented in the media. Uh, and having interviewed many hundreds of people, I'm going to say, hands down, my favorite is the subject of the book Symmetry, Dolly Saffron. Who's, who's with you right now, like in the room. <laughs> yeah. yeah. She, uh, she had this amazing lifelong encounters with ETs, which, you know, did start out scary and confusing for her, mm -hmm. like pretty much a lot of people. But at age 14, tired of the missing time and the, you know, the fear and the confusion, like, am I going crazy? So many people have told me that, you know, I think I'm going crazy. I don't know. But she had an experience at age 14 where UFOs came down by her house in the Florida Everglades. And there were little windows and she could see ETs looking down at her. She's like, oh my mm -hmm. God, it's happening again. She saw the, these little gray guys, freaked out, dove under the bed. The room fills with light. Next thing she knows, it's hours later, it's the next morning. Uh -huh. And uh, she's waking up on the floor in someone else's pajamas. Oh, yeah. Oh, wow. Inside out and backwards, too, which, hmm. you know, is unusual, but not unheard of by any means. Um, so she had her proof right there. She's like, OK, this is real. <laughs> These are not even my clothes. <laughs> Where did this come from? Yeah. <laughs> so I know this happened. <laughs> and she went into the kitchen, wanted to tell her mom, who hates this subject. <laughs> Often that is the reaction of uh, a parent, usually not both, but one of them, and not always, but sometimes, you know, this is really difficult for parents. Yeah, I can imagine. And was, yeah. And it was for her mom who just like, because Dolly's like, I want to tell you I saw something. And it's like, her mom realized, says, shut up. <laughs> no, no, no. Of course, then the radio comes on and says, UFOs came down over, you know, the Kendall Mall area, which is not far from where they lived. And two police mm -hmm. officers saw it and blah, blah, blah. And Dolly jumps up, say, oh, luck. And her mom, you know, she's hysterical. Her dad walks in. At that point, she didn't know her dad was a contactee as well. This is often generational. And certainly mm -hmm. was in her case. And her dad's like, calm down. Go into the bathroom, you know, where she could actually lock the door. And think about what happened to you. Think about it. Meditate. And she did. And this is when she full on remembered the missing time. Oh, wow. Of being and had a very positive experience. And it's amazing because she remembered being, you know, diving under the bed. Little grays come down. They pull her up in this, what she calls an energy beam, kind of like a beam of light, but different. Uh, through the roof, through the tree, <laughs> up into a craft. And she recognizes the gray there, the tall gray, uh, who she's met before. And she's freaking out. She throws up. They oh, clean goodness. her up. They're like, calm down. You're okay. You remember this, don't you? And she's like, I do, I do. And she hears another voice. It's the ship itself. The ship, the ships themselves, the UFOs, are embodied by an entity, a high-level, you know, fifth-dimensional mm. entity. And he's saying, you remember me? <laughs> and so she's calming down, finally calms down. And they take her up into the control room 
And long story short, fly her over to Saturn. Well, actually let her do it. To the planet Saturn. And when she told me that, I'm like, oh my God, this is exactly what Jay Gardner told me. Another no way. Yes, it's not uncommon. <laughs> this happened to uh, Leo Sprinkle and Ray Fowler. This happens to contactees. Usually they'll just take you up in space and like, look, there's the earth. Mm. But if you're, you know, if you have the presence of mind to not completely panic, because if you're panicking, you're going to have missing time. Mm -hmm. going to be cut short. All you're going to remember is being taken on board and maybe a glimpse or two of being laid out and examined. Because that's what they're pulling people on board for. It's a healing procedure. But yeah, they took her to Saturn, took her to the moon, flew around it, had this big counseling session with her. And that's when she started to learn how to pilot these craft, which sounds crazy, but it's not. Sounds utter, amazing. Let's go. Can we go, yeah. Dolly? Let's go. <laughs> <laughs> so that was one of the, you know, and of course the experiences went on from there, but I've got so many cases like that. Because like one lady, she, the first case I investigated, really, the lady had a tumor in her fallopian tubes, a cyst rather. Mm -hmm. And the ETs removed it right on the day before surgery. Wow. Well, wow. She went to the doctor and they were completely losing their minds. They're like, well, you went to a hospital. You had this removed. She's like, no, I didn't. I'm, I said, yes, you did. We've got the x-rays, MRIs. <laughs> There's fluid here. We know you've had surgery. Stop lying to us. She played dumb. You know, she's like, yeah. I she's not going to tell them it was aliens. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. She's like, I'm not telling them that. Are you kidding? We'll call the people in the white coats. Which is probably what would have happened because I've talked yeah. to people who've had mm -hmm. that happen. They ended up in a mental institution mm -hmm. from their their own family put them in there, even though this, these people had outside witnesses to support their story. Mm. That's how you know disastrous and nefarious this cover up uh, is. But overall, contact is a positive experience. It's very, very scary when some of these things enter your room at night and pull you on board. But they're saying, you know, don't be afraid. Have no fear. No harm will come to you. We're not here to harm you. You're okay. Uh, but it's really difficult for people in this fear-based society yeah. to sort of look at someone that different and be okay with it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But so yeah, the, overall, it's positive. On the other spectrum of that, have you had experiences where the the ETs were doing something that was nefarious? Not really, though I will say people have perceived it that way. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it was the, their perception. The, yeah, because when you're in a state of absolute fear and they're holding up an instrument <laughs> and yeah. it's coming towards you, um, it's very easy to perceive this as a negative experience. Mm -hmm. And I will say a lot of people were not happy <laughs> in the initial stages that it did mm -hmm. cause nightmares and anxiety and insomnia and so forth. Uh, PTSD, you know, locking the mm. doors at night. And, yeah. Uh, and it takes a number of encounters before people realize, well, they just healed me and I'm having mm -hmm. all these psychic experiences now and they're teaching me stuff. But some people don't get to that stage and some do. And they're like, just not happy with it. Mm -hmm. I interviewed a guy in England who's, you know, doesn't like it. And I, have to respect that it's his experience mm -hmm. uh, and he says some of it has been very positive they taught him how to do astral travel like nobody's business uh, the, he's super psychic both he and his wife 
But he says they come in at night and scare the living daylights out of him. And mm -hmm. once he was pulled on board and they held this needle up to his head and they put it in. He says, President, these guys don't know what anesthesia is. It hurt. Uh, and that does happen rarely. Pain. Mm -hmm. In most cases, the vast majority, they will put their hands on your forehead and say, well, and even apologize. Mm -hmm. When Betty Hill was taken on board and they put a needle in her navel, she screamed, oh, you're hurting me. They said afterwards, we're very sorry. We didn't mean to cause you pain. Uh, so the worst I hear is the physical examination, which on occasion, rarely, people do experience pain, mm -hmm. which can be, I mean, you can burn a person with an ice cube. If you're hip hypnotized and in, you call it a, a coal, you can burn them. So mm -hmm. when a person's in terror and they feel something coming towards them, um, they it can hurt. And it's not even actually mm -hmm. physically hurting them. Yeah. So I think sometimes, you know, I'm not going to overlay my own beliefs on anyone's encounter. Mm -hmm. It's their encounter. Uh, but the vast majority of people um, feel like this was a positive experience and they wouldn't change it for anything. And every now and then I'll interview someone who's one guy is fundamentally religious. And he's like, Preston, these are demons. I'm telling you, that's what they are. Mm -hmm. And I ended up you know, buying every book on demonology and <laughs> doing haunted yeah. house investigations. And my own really terrible ghost investigations with bad, bad ghosts who, you know, it went all the way to possession in like four or five cases I researched. Wow. So that is a real phenomenon, but it's not mm -hmm. ET. It yeah. really isn't. Uh, so we have a tendency to view this phenomenon through the lens of our own belief system mm -hmm. and often through the lens of fear. And let's face it, there's disinformation and misinformation and lies mm -hmm. and Absolutely. what's called my labs, military abductions, which are faked, but made to look real and terrify you, scare the pants off of you. Mm. But in my research, and I think this is backed up by other people who really focus on the onboard experience, mm -hmm. this is not nefarious. As I said, the yeah. worst that happens is the physical examination, which can be very scary. But if you're not in complete terror, that's when they start talking to you. First, you know, they're trying to do a checkup and heal you. Yeah. That is, that was the subject of my first book, UFO Healings. Mm. Sorry, I'm getting all excited about this. I'm just talking in my own minute. <laughs> no, I was actually getting yeah. ready to ask that. So if there's, I was going to say, if there's not a nefarious reason, what is going on with all the shots and probes and so on and so forth? So that's, that's, that's healing. They're checking you over and, 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 and with the purpose of healing. Exactly. That is one of the primary reasons people are pulled on board, uh, particularly contactees who are followed by, through their family lines and the ETs are upholding their genetics, which are being damaged you know, by solar radiation from our failing magnetic fields and pollution and fluoride and all the chemicals and the drugs. And they're doing their best to uphold the best of our genetics. Uh, that is one of the primary reasons. And that is one of the reasons people are being physically examined and the healing think, is um because i know one of the like you, you had said one of us one of like the side effects i guess you could say is uh, uh afterwards is people have more psychic abilities do you think that that's just a side effect of them uh having that interaction or do you think that the ets are also doing things that are allowing that to be unlocked yeah, initially I thought it was a side effect and I've changed mm -hmm. my mind. Yeah. <laughs> because mm -hmm. it's so consistent and I've got specific cases where the ET said, This is our gift to you for working with us. And those that exact phrase, in two cases, it was the exact same phrase. This is our yeah. gift to you. 
And that's another commonality that's true with almost every contactee is a profound psychic ability. Mm-hmm. And this sometimes comes before you know, people are psychic as little kids, mm-hmm. but certainly afterwards, it's a two-way street, but that's, I've come to realize that is one of their missions. One of their goals, one of their agendas is to wake us up because people come away from contact first with the ability to heal prime, you know, Reiki or hands-on healing, or just an interest in medicine or ecology or environmentalism or animal rights. Uh, but beyond that, they come away with astral projection or remote viewing, out-of-body experiences, mediumship is huge. They start seeing shadow people, channeling, having you know, clairvoyance, human levitation, physical levitation. <laughs> um, I've got a dozen cases, well, 20 or 30 actually, where people will spontaneously levitate and start, they start levitating physically. Oh. I ended up writing a whole book on levitation. Because we we can fly, <laughs> who knew? But it's very well <laughs> attested. It's been proven in scientific laboratory settings multiple times. It's in every culture. We can levitate, mm-hmm. and the ETs are teaching people how to do that. I put out a video on that, and this guy called me from Europe, on the edge of tears. He says, oh. "You're the first person I could find. I've been searching for years because I had this. Is had this really profound encounter." with a close-up UFO and started levitating in his room and it freaked him out. It's like, I'm so glad, you know, you put this information out there. That's amazing. So yeah, it's a definite, I'm not sure I would call it side effect, but it's a a goal. This Mm -hmm. is one of the reasons that they're contacting people to wake us up to, they're not supernatural abilities. They're natural. Exactly. Mm-hmm. <laughs> this is nothing paranormal. It's not They're breaking innate, the, laws of the universe. Innate abilities yeah. because really we're just energy. All right. Exactly. Well, let's take yeah. this real quick for a moment. We're zooming right along uh, in this conversation. Uh, as I figured, uh, there's so much to talk about and uh, try to get to it all is not going to be possible. But if you're, no. if you're just joining us, if you've jumped in since, the, since we started here, uh, we are joined tonight uh, by Preston Dennett. And uh, there's a link at the top of chat, uh, if you're with us live, uh, where you can check out his website at prestondennett.weebly.com. And you can buy all of the books uh, at amazon.com. And just as a reminder, what are we down to now? We're a little over about a week and a half from, from Christmas. Uh, so there is still time. There is still <laughs> time. Uh, I, I'm glad there is because I, I still need a little bit of time. Uh, to go out and do your <laughs> holiday shopping. It's all right on a corner. So go check out, uh, you know, some of the books out there on Amazon from uh, Preston, uh, because there's a lot of very uh, interesting topics uh, mm. that that you can check out. So um, if you're listening to us later on podcast or over on YouTube, uh, I'll have the links uh, listed down below for you to click on and check that out. All right. So we did have a question before we get too far from that subject again. Um, Apple Burrito wanted to know, uphold the DNA to what purpose? Uh, to keep people healthy, to bring out the best of human development. Uh, if you look at who the contactees are, because I started looking, I'm like, why are some people not others? What is going on here? 
and it was a very interesting pattern I found because it's evenly divided between men and women. And it certainly isn't dependent on your ancestry or your blood type or anything like that. Religion, political affiliation, or uh, you know, geographic area. It's all over the world. We know this. Uh, and we do find that they are following family lines going back. Uh, they do seem to be very much attracted to people who are psychic. Mm -hmm. But people who are contactees are people who are doing good work for humanity in some capacity. Mm. So I found a lot of contactees are teachers. They are animal rights activists, human rights activists, environmentalists, doctors, nurses, musicians, artists. They are helping those who help others. Those are the people who are being healed. Those are the people who are being contacted. So basically what they're trying to do is help us in a way without coming down and solving our problems, because that's up to us. They've made that very clear, because mm -hmm. people have asked them over and over again. Mm -hmm. There was a case in Austria in the 1950s, you know, early 1950s, where the guy's just crying. He's like, come down, you know, our governments are so corrupt. You have to help us. And they said, we can't. You are the one in the position to help, not us. We can only, you know, help you to a certain extent. I've heard that in different phrasing, even with the word karma thrown in there by the ETs, mm -hmm. uh, that it's up to us to help ourselves. They can't do it, but they are helping those who help others. That's exactly what they told a couple that I interviewed who were contacted in Sedona. And he was healed of carpal tunnel syndrome and a bad knee. And, you know, they had this amazing encounter where they were invited on board. It was very positive. There were mostly human-looking ETs, and she asked them, where are you from? And they basically said, oh, it's not important. She wouldn't understand. Uh, but she's like, why don't you just come down? And they said, we can't do that. We're helping those who help others. You have to solve the, your problems. Mm -hmm. And they are helping others. He's a social worker. They live in Hawaii, and he helps people with their houses. And she's an herbal healer, very effective. Uh, so I, I see that over and over and over again. That's why they're upholding our genetics to basically, because we're now at a point where we can completely destroy ourselves and the planet and each other, everything. That happened around, you know, the nuclear age, 1940s. And that's when they came in huge numbers. The modern age of UFOs and the nuclear age coincide exactly. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and Not a coincidence. Said, yeah, yeah. That's when they said, okay, you know what? Here it goes again. They're going to destroy themselves. We've got to do something. What can we do? We're going to do what we can. Yeah. Their mission, their agenda is one of teaching, or no, it's healing, teaching, informing, warning, and raising consciousness and psychic ability. That's it in a nutshell. Mm -hmm. If you're taken on board and you can listen to beyond, you know, don't be afraid. We won't hurt you. They're going to tell you. Stop using nuclear weapons. <laughs> nuclear proliferation must stop. Yeah. Mm -hmm. The greed and corruption is choking your society. Mm -hmm. Stop chopping down the forests. Mm -hmm. um, you're polluting your own water, your own mm -hmm. food. Yeah. Stop killing each other. Love is the answer. That's what they told Betty Andreessen. Love is the answer for humankind. All mm -hmm. the answers to your problems can be found in nature. Direct quote from a gray alien. Mm-hmm. So that is the ET agenda. That's why they're here. That's why they're contacting us.
Well, that brings up an interesting question I have uh, going back. Well, I was going to say to the end of the Cold War, we might be seeing a a new a new uh, a new version of that. But I've heard it. I've heard quite a few people, you know, speculate on extraterrestrials possibly uh, interfering and stopping uh, that button from being pressed. From from the research you've done and, and, and what you've read and written about, do you think they would have intervened and stopped a nuclear war? I hope so, but I don't think we can count on it. I mean, mm. there's some indication that they have intervened to a limited extent here and there. But, you know, Hiroshima and Nagasaki happened. That's true. And, you know, yeah. Dolly Safran, you know, the contactee who I wrote in, about her case in symmetry asked them and they said listen if we had stopped that would you have learned you know no. you have to learn yeah. and mm-hmm. the ets are not killing people on mass so it always kind of like puzzles me when people are like oh they're evil i'm like no 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 it's mm-hmm. us we're overlaying yeah. our own cultural values mm-hmm. onto strangers who we've been taught to fear uh no i don't know that we can count on that they might They've certainly intervened to a limited extent, and I would point to the Malmstrom incident in March of 1967, where they shut down nuclear missiles. Mm-hmm. And I got to interview one of the guys. Oh my oh, God! Wow. Every now and then you get to yeah, who came forward? He was an unknown witness, Mel Hansen. And boy, what a treat! Because every now and then you get to talk to a whistleblower, and this guy's like, "I want to do my part, and if I can, real brief, describe yeah. what he's." Said, yeah, for sure. So, I'm interested. So cool. It's such an interesting case, which is really well known. But he was there. Mm-hmm. He was, you know, worked on maintaining these missile sites, which are all independent systems. It can't shut down all at once. One could, but all of them, no, that's impossible. UFOs showed up and shut them all down. He was at one of the sites, and this UFO showed up It's at night. And he's the only one above ground. His whole team is below ground maintaining it he's in the jeep with a security officer and this ufo shows up he says it was a dark mass blocking out the stars couldn't tell quite how large or quite high how high up which i liked to hear because you know you can't tell how big something is if you don't know how high up it is or vice versa Mm -hmm. so he's like well it's blocking stars and looked pretty close it was everything became deathly quiet and the system shut down the, the whole electric power. He says it instantly went back on because there's a fail safe and it went back up on uh, battery power. And that failed. And it went back to a generator, which put it back online and that failed. So two fail safes failed. Wow. And at that point, of course, he's calling the people back at the base proper saying we've got a situation and they said do not get out of the jeep you are to stay where you are we'll be there in less than an hour because this is way the heck out there these are very widely spaced and of course he gets out (laughs) and looks up because he wants to see it but it just moves off totally silent security shows up Mm. it's to leave everything go to base and they were all separated and questioned all night long. Said, you didn't see anything. One mm. word, you will lose mm. everything. Don't tell your family. Don't tell each other. Never talk about it. It didn't happen. Mm. 
And he, he obeyed that, except for occasionally on a camping trip, he was best friends with one of the guys. Uh, and they would talk about it out in the wilderness when yeah. no one's around. Middle but he died. He died and they all died. And he's old and he's like, you know what? He saw yeah. it on Unsolved Mysteries or talking about Malmstrom. He's like, oh, well, I guess I can talk about it. <laughs> he's like, I don't care. I'm talking. Yeah. yeah. That's awesome. So, yeah, they will intervene in that sort of a way, which was clear message. I'm mm -hmm. sure the folks at the, the top brass were like, oh, my God, this is horrible. You know, they're shutting down our missiles. What could they do? But to me, from my perspective, it's a clear warning. Like, what are you doing? Mm -hmm. Are you stupid? Mm -hmm. You know, this could kill everybody, including mm -hmm. yourself. And we have the capacity to stop this. Don't, yeah. you know, stop messing around. Uh, so I think that's, yeah, they are intervening, but I wouldn't count on them stopping a nuclear war. Uh, we made our bed, yeah. Yeah. you know? Yeah, it's like they want to see us succeed, but they can't really overstep the boundaries of free will. They can't. They can't come in and make make up our free will minds for us. Yeah, I hope if they see us jumping off a cliff to our death, they will, like a parent, say, "Grab yeah. them." Yeah. <laughs> but like a parent knows, you can't tie your kids' shoes. You can't, yeah. you know, spoon feed them. They have to do it, mm -hmm. or yeah. they will never make it. Yeah. Yeah, mm. that's very true. It's 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 been something that's interesting, especially with all of this. <clears throat> Well, you know, follow the news. All everything's coming back around again. I saw. I was reading a story today about uh, Nostradamus predictions, and there. And the article was talking about how uh, last year's. Uh, at the end of the article, essentially said, "Well, you don't have to worry about it if you're too scared, because last year's predictions didn't come true." And the one that it listed was the beginning of World War Three. And I said, "Have you not been watching the news?" <laughs> yeah, so. Uh, yeah. Um, so mm. yeah, it's curious. I've always been curious about that. And that story, uh, that's, that's absolutely wonderful that you were able to interview and, and have a discussion with him about that because I've, I've yeah. heard about that story many, many times. And of course, uh, we talked, you mentioned earlier about in search of, and I think between in search of and unsolved mysteries, I think a lot, that's where a lot of people got their start <laughs> in this stuff. So. I mean, I'm hearing people who are on having onboard experiences, because that's the heart of the phenomena. Yeah. But hearing some of these military witnesses is so amazing. <laughs> like there was another guy, Ray Sachs, who was on the USS Clamagor, which had nuclear tipped torpedoes. It's a submarine. Mm -hmm. And back in 1971, he's on the deck. It's traveling on the surface up the East Coast. When a USO shows up and paces the Clamagor for 15 minutes, this giant object right underwater next to the submarine, mm. which, you know, can't happen with it's another sub you can't approach within a quarter mile. That's a near yeah. miss mm -hmm. of anything. And he's up there with another petty officer. He's an electronics engineer. And they're like freaking out. The sonar room doesn't see him. The captain, the second commander on deck, and all the major officers, the high-ranking officers, come up for a few minutes because they want to look at it. You know, this thing came in at like 100 knots from the stern, paced it for 15 minutes and darted off at like 80 knots in another direction and was gone. And the second-in-command turns to the commander, says, Sir, 
how would you like me to report this event in the log? And the commander <laughs> turns to the second in command and says, officers who report this kind of event in the log do not move up in rank. <laughs> mm -hmm. So it wasn't yeah. recorded in the log. Man. And Ray Stocks, you know, again, an older man said, you know, mm -hmm. I really think people should know about this. I'm, I'm like nervously asking him, did you sign an NDA? He's like, no, I didn't. <laughs> you know, they yeah. told me not to talk, but I didn't sign anything. Yeah. <laughs> And they, they told him, you know, not to talk about this. He goes below deck. Every single man on yeah. there was running up to him. What happened? What did it look like? So it was news on the Clamagor for a long yeah. time. Well, and that, and that brings us right around to what we were talking about at the beginning with these congressional hearings. And I think that was one of the good things that came out of it was uh, the fact that people, at least now, if they didn't know before, they know now that uh, well-trained professional military people are having consistent experiences with these things. And, uh, you know, we're over here in, uh, in Virginia, Preston. So we're, we're, uh, I'm very familiar with the, uh, Naval air station and, uh, uh, lived in, in that area for quite a bit of my life. But, um, you know, it was amazing to hear, you know, same thing, like essentially these fighter pilots are having to have briefings and discussions uh, before they go up in air about what they're going to do uh, because of all the UFOs that are up there and, and how they're going to uh, make sure that they don't run into them. And, and, and it, it, things, stories like that, I think really just kind of like made me think like, like, wow, this is something big that's happening. Yeah, we're hearing 1% of what's going on at the military, not even yeah. 0. 0.5, 0. Yeah. 0.01. Yeah. I don't know what the percentage Maybe is. Maybe yeah. Exactly. Yeah. <clears throat> Can you imagine? This must be huge at the highest you know, levels of military. That's probably all they're really concentrating on. <laughs> oh. Yeah. It's, it's, it's crazy. Yeah. So we have about 30 minutes left, yeah. and we have talked a lot about ufos and aliens so much more however there's a whole <laughs> there's a whole nother topic of things that we wanted to talk yeah. about so maybe we could spend the last little bit about that yeah i think and we need to get into it or people, yeah. there's gonna be some people get angry at us if we don't <clears throat> the out-of-body experiences and the yeah. first question that we had because we weren't sure was that is astral projection or travel the same thing as out-of-body experience is it two the two different terminologies for the same thing or is it different things same thing okay. yeah it's the experience of traveling out of your body and what we call the dream body the astral mm -hmm. body you know it goes by different names the desire body the occult body um different terms but it's the same exact thing it's the same experience thing, of different being words. separated from the physical mm -hmm. um in another body that can fly and move through walls mm -hmm. and go to the other side and visit what we would call the heavenly realms and go all the way i mean higher higher dimensions depending on how good you get at it yeah but yeah when you were talking about the levitation i kept thinking anybody who's had a dream about flying knows you can levitate <laughs> <laughs> yeah a flying dream is probably a half remembered <laughs> out-of-body experience because we yeah. all do it every night the trick mm -hmm. is remembering. This is mm -hmm. as safe as sleeping. It's not hard to do. I learned how to do it. And after my mom died tragically at a young age, 49, mm. of, in 1984. And, you know, 86 and 87 rolled around. And I, started, I was having dreams of her coming and visiting me. I didn't believe in life after death, so I thought I was losing my mind because I knew it was her. 
Mm. I just knew it on some level. And that's what got me into this subject. I found Robert Monroe's book. And if you know anything about OBEs, you know about Robert Monroe, who wrote Far Journeys and Journeys Out of the Body and The Ultimate Journey. And basically, it was all about his experiences, but he told you how to do it. Mm. So I, I did his exercises. And it worked. I couldn't believe it. Oh, my God. The first experience I had, I, you know, I flew out of my body. I was crossed my bedroom into the hallway, into the bathroom. I'm like, oh, my God, I am doing this. This is real. There is life after death. This is insane. My family thought I'd lost my mind because my UFOs are real and I'm going out of body. They're like, oh, no. Yeah. Poor Aliens going out of body. <laughs> He's going to the mental ward. Thankfully, they came around, all of them. So, <laughs> But yeah, that was tough for them, probably more than me in some yeah, ways. Yeah, because you were excited and they were like, oh, good. So but this yeah, is something gosh. we talk this is something we talk about with uh, with Medium Jenny Lee quite a bit when she's doing her uh, mediumship uh, streams on here. But uh, you said earlier, but just to clarify, um, anybody anybody can do it. Yes, yep. It's just a matter of physical relaxation, mental relaxation, and doing visualizations and affirmations, and you'll feel what if you you know get through it, you'll probably feel what's called the vibratory state which feels kind of like an electric shock, mild or perhaps severe. It was severe for me. I was told it was mild and it wasn't. So that kind of shocked me. And so I'm going to say it can be a real, honest to God, shaking experience. And you'll feel perhaps energy rushing through you and then you pop right out. But yeah, anyone can do it. And mm. it's perfectly safe. The main obstacles are fear, laziness, and skepticism. People think it's very scary, and it is. I mean, a couple of times I thought I had died when I did it. I popped out. I'm like, uh-oh. Oh, no. What, I'm dead. <laughs> I was not happy. Can I get and, back in there? Let me yeah. in. And laziness. Yeah, you got to do the exercises. Mm -hmm. And skepticism. People don't think, you know, I couldn't do that. This is for yogis and, you know, enlightened masters. No, 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 no. This is, you can do this. And you're not going to get lost out of your body. You're not going to get possessed. You're not going to go too far out. It's as safe as sleeping. And in fact, I've documented some 30 cases of people who are physically healed mm -hmm. as a result. And by that, I mean, honest to God, healing of multiple sclerosis or sarcoidosis wow. or colds and flus and cuts and mm -hmm. you name it. Healing. It's a very healing experience. You can go to a healing temple. On the other side, it's the most beautiful thing you've ever seen in your life. You get to visit your deceased loved ones. That's why I did it. I wanted yeah. to see my mom so bad. Yeah. I would pop out. I'm like, I did it again. I did it again. I get right back in because strong emotion will pull you back in. Mm -hmm. It took me a year because every time I'd pop out, I'd be like, I did it. Whoosh back in. <laughs> yeah. Pop out, I did it. Whoosh right back in. I'm like, well, darn it. This is. So finally I popped out. I'm like, calm down. Yeah. Take... <laughs> yeah. No freaking out. You got to calm yeah. down. Yeah. I was able to extend it to, uh, you know, 30 seconds and then a minute and then two minutes and then, you know, upwards of that. I mean, you can stay out all night, but sometimes, you know, if you're out on the other side, you'll feel the pull. You're like, uh oh, time to go back. Mm -hmm. But 
I did meet my mom. She came, she popped in, you know, because I always pop out of my body, like, mom, 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 mom. No, I'm here. I've met you halfway. Where the heck are you? And finally, she showed up one day, young. She looked like 25. When I pop out, you see, I don't have a whole lot of hair. Yeah. Um, I lost it pretty early. I'm so sad about that. But <laughs> what are you going to do? But mm -hmm. when I'm out of body, it all comes back. <laughs> Your hair pops. Your hair pops yeah. out too. <laughs> yeah. Well, we have super buff. <laughs> you haven't been amazing. able to see my video yet, Preston, but that that brings me great joy because I'm uh, I'm in that club as well. <laughs> yeah, but I met my mom. She took me to the other side. Honest to God, and to you know, I'm not a religious guy. I said that, but boy, seeing the other side could make you religious because <laughs> it is. Uh, I don't know what else to call it, but the heavenly realms. The, the mm -hmm. light permeates everything. It's very sparkly. It's made of light. And in fact, you can go to source, you know, the light that they talk about in near death experiences. Mm -hmm. um, you can go there and soak in the light. It's amazing. But my mom took me on this tour and, you know, it's very garden like green fields, forests. We flew over this field and landed next to a river. She's like, go in the water, go in the water. I'm like, you're what? It's like, go, go in. And you, you can feel the water, but it doesn't get you wet. It's the strangest thing. It kind of rolls over you and you come out and you're perfectly clean. It's super cool. I mean, it's just amazing. Wow. There's little pathways and benches. And, you know, over the years, I've lost a lot of friends and family members. And I, you always get to see them. It's amazing. Sometimes it took a while, a few yeah. of them. Mm -hmm. But usually, I mean, my nephew died, and literally hours after he passed, I popped out of my bed. I'm going down this tunnel. I'm like, oh, I'm going to go see him. I know it. And I was passing other people who had just recently died who were still in the tunnel. I'm like, wow, this is a people knew this. Boy, they would try harder because it's amazing. Mm -hmm. And I popped out in this room, which was like a, a waiting room kind of. And there was a, a greeter, a lady, you know, these are all dead people. I'm like, oh, my God, this is crazy. And this lady's smiling at me. And I'm like, hi, my, my name's Preston. I'm looking for my nephew. His name is James Dennett. I don't suppose you have any idea where he could be. And she smiled. She's you know, just this beautiful lady with dark hair, a round face. And then she's like, oh, yeah, turn around. He's right behind you. Oh, wow. <laughs> I'm like, oh, my God. So I turned around. And, I instantly looked up. I'd forgotten how that he's, you know, six foot three. <laughs> you know, I hadn't seen him in a while. I'm like, James. And he was robust. His, you know, his chest was thrust out. He's glowing with a, a, this aura of just light. And he's smiling from ear to ear. He grabs my hands. He says, I love you. I'm like, James, I love you too. I had so many questions I wanted to ask him, but he's just smiling, looking at me, and he says, you know, Preston, I watched your video. <laughs> like, what? <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, that one you did with the, you know, the, the blue and the yellow UFO. I'm like, oh, yeah, that one. It's like, you're doing a really good job, and this is really important work. You don't know, um, but this is really important. You need to keep doing this. I was planning on keeping doing it, but I just felt such overwhelming love and gratitude at that point yeah. that the emotion... You know, if you let your emotions get away from you, you slide off that sort of narrow focus that you need to be on to do this. And I got pulled back. But boy, that was so cool because I saw him, you know, after he died and I was able to call his mom and everybody in the family like, listen, 
he's real. He's there. Mm. He's he's fine. He's happy. Ah, oh, was just one of the most amazing experiences. It's but beautiful. I can't I can't recommend this enough. You know, don't believe me. Check it out, and you will know because you can believe it or not. But until you have this experience, then you'll know. And it is so worth it. And it's not that hard. It took me a month and a half of doing the exercises uh, before I had my first full-on one. Mm-hmm. And then I would do it every weekend when I could sleep late, you know, because we all have to <laughs> yeah. work. It's, yeah. it's not like, you know, I could spend all my time just meditating in some cave. And, <laughs> well, I wish I could, honestly. But, well, I mean, that brings up a good question. Uh, when you are uh, when you are going out of body and once you get to the point where you are able to spend a lot of time out of body at night, does that affect the physical sleep that you're getting? Do you wake no. up tired in the morning? Or? No. No. I've had a few people who said, well, I get tired. I'm like, hmm, really? Most, you know, because I've taught this. And no, it, and it gives you energy. You come away like walking on air. In fact, it's very much connected to physical levitation, which I haven't done, by the way. Working <laughs> but, on it. Working on it. <laughs> yeah, you feel like you're walking on air. And I, I come back energized, absolutely mm-hmm. energized. And no, I don't feel the least bit tired. I get soup. I'm just talking about it. I'm all wired right now. <laughs> like, oh, my God. Because this is my favorite subject. UFOs is super interesting, but it's not us. I mean, it's a human experience. Don't get me wrong. Yeah, but just, this is something that's about us. Well, just to bring this in, because uh, I've discussed this with you a little bit, Jenny, but I don't, I don't know. Mm-hmm. But for those, but for your experiences, would you say that you, because you do the mediumship, but would you, at that, how does that compare to the out of body experience or the astral projection for you? Well, I was going to say that um, I have the same experience with mediumship that you do with out-of-body experiences. A lot of mediums get really exhausted after they do readings and they're tired and they might have a headache and they have to rest. And I have the same thing that happens for your out-of-body experiences. I get so jazzed up and energized and I'm just like, I can't go to sleep afterwards. And (laughs) so that's some similarities there. Um, and, And I think... And, you know, I can't speak for every other medium because, you know, I don't know how they're going about it. But I think and it might be that true for you as well. Uh, it's connecting to that source energy. It's being in that light and that love is what is what gives you that energetic boost, you know, totally and a lot, a lot of the mediumship kind of work that I do, it does lead me in that direction and i do have that kind of connection when i'm doing the work so i think that's why you and i are getting jazzed up and other people are getting (laughs) sleepy (laughs) and i think if you block it because it's a lot of energy flowing through Mm -hmm. you that can cause you know some problems yeah or difficulties i I wouldn't say it's dangerous in any way uh you know i have had some experiences where i'm like well that's unpleasant (laughs) You know, yeah. Once I popped out of body and there was these, you know, lost souls. Mm-hmm. And these were like murderers or thugs who were up to no good. You know, I just popped out of my body and I'm exploring the house. Usually I have a plan. and That usually involves going to the other side where all the action is. Yeah. But sometimes you just want to explore around the house and 
walk through the wall and like, wow, look at <laughs> look at everything glowing and it's just neat, right? Every oh, there's a the Ouija board in there. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> you can see into walls, by the way. <laughs> but I went into the front yard and there was these lost souls, earthbound souls. Mm-hmm. Three guys who were young, but they were dead. <laughs> And they were not nice people. And they yeah. saw me and they made a beeline right for me. And they were mm-hmm. like, 50, you know, 100 feet away. And they're floating, they come looming towards me. I'm like, nope. Yeah. You know, in the books, they're like, project love and blah, blah, blah. I'm like, no, I'm not doing that. <laughs> I'm going back because I wasn't yeah. ready. You know, since then, I've explored what we would call definitely the hellish realms. Because, mm-hmm. you know, I'd read about it. I'm like, well, if they can do it, why can't I? Anyone can do this once you build up your arsenal and you know you learn all these tricks and how to stay awake and how to see and how to move and how to get you know fulfill an intention which is mm-hmm. very simple you just intend it mm-hmm. you know it's all willpower and intention mm-hmm. and focus but i went to some of these lower realms and it is different you know the very high realms are very nature and it's glorious and beautiful and there are animals and I mean, it's gorgeous. You can't be in a bad mood. But there are lower realms. And to, to me, this is my experience. You know, it's not lakes of fire so much, but mm-hmm. there are people, depending on how low you get, because you can get to very dark places where people are locked in to themselves and you cannot get their attention. They're crying. They're in despair. They're afraid or, you know, they're locked into a negative emotion usually. Yeah, there's a level right above that where people just died and they're kind of like milling around and not fully sure or they know they're dead, mm-hmm. but it looks like a mall. I mean, it looks like a, it's a very urban setting and they're in these rooms that are very Ooh. much like hotels kind of. And I do this over and over again. And one time I'm like, OK, you know, I'm just going to dive a little deeper here because it was filled with people and they're just sitting on tables talking and, you know, just kind of chatting. I'm like, OK. And I started asking people, you know are you dead? And the guy's like, yeah, of course I am. <laughs> and I'm like, okay. And I walked, I saw this little kid. I'm like, are you dead? And he gave me this look like I'm nuts. He said, I am. We all are. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> uh, and, and I found this group of ladies sitting at a table and I walked up to them. And I'm like, can I ask you a dumb question? <laughs> are you dead? And they gave me the same <laughs> stupid look like, who is this idiot? So, so, said, yes, of course we're dead. And I, and I said, well, I'm not. <laughs> and every, everyone stopped talking. You know, there's a hundred people around me. Everyone stopped talking and every head swivels and looks at me. Wow. With this like expression of like, who the F are you? Mm-hmm. And I'm like, I'm going. <laughs> That's who I am. <laughs> Bye. See you later. It was clear that <laughs> this was not something I should have said. Yeah. Okay. But, so, in other that. words, first level of hell is a mall. <laughs> it, it, well, it's, you know, there's a very, very dark. My friend Roger died of alcoholism, and I went to him, and he was in the dark, screaming his head off. He's like, I'm not ready. I'm lost. Help, help, help. And I went, I'm like, I'm going to help you. And I got pulled back from the emotion because he was my best friend. Yeah. He died of alcoholism. And I prayed for him and found him on that second level and ultimately found him up in the heavenly realms in a hospital. But once I went to the, you know, again, this mall like setting and, and there was this tall black guy 
kind of milling around, you know, I was asking people that same dumb question, are, are you dead? And like, we all are, you know, this was in the middle of the whole COVID thing. Mm-hmm. And it was clear that it was a lot of people were being pulled over to the other side. Mm-hmm. But I saw this guy and he, he looked like he was ready for the heavenly realm because he had this beautiful aura. And I walked up to him. I'm like, hey, how are you doing? He's looking at me like, who are you? And I'm like, I, I could take you to the other side because this is something that you will be inducted into doing if you get good at this because it's a problem. There are so many people who are stuck. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And he, he's like, really? I'm like, yeah, yeah, I know where it is. It's, you know, I can take you there if you're interested. He's like, really? Okay. And I'm like, all you have to do is grab my hand. And he hesitates because I'm a guy. He's a guy. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, no, no, it's, you know, just take my hand. Come on. He's like, okay. Because he's a big black guy. You know, and he's, I'm this short, little, skinny white guy. <laughs> with hair, um, though, with hair. <laughs> yeah. With a, Lots of hair. Yeah. I'm not that short. Five, nine and a half. I'm, I'm not going to give up that well, three quarters. I'm not going to give okay. that up. But he's like with, six. With five. hair, you can round it up. <laughs> five, ten. Yeah. So I grab his hand and off we go. And how I get there is once you know where it is, I mean, you know, but it kind of just goes straight up. And then it started getting really colorful and beautiful. And you can tell there because the light just embraces you and the love. And it's, I mean, it would bring tears to your eyes to know that what's waiting for us is the best place ever. Yeah. You know, and he got there and he'd let go of my hand and like they always do. I try to track them, but I read <laughs> about this. This is a problem. You know, they, they're off on their way. Mm-hmm. So I've done that a number of times. The first time was this little girl who had been murdered. Mm-hmm. Oh, broke my heart. But I read about other people doing this. I'm like, I want to do this. Yeah. You know, take... Take me to some someone I can help. Mm-hmm. And I pulled this little girl over to the other side. I'm like, wow, because all the you know, there's a lot of books on this, and there's mm-hmm. some people who are really good at it, better than me. Uh, and this is something that you can do. It's so yeah. rewarding. Oh my mm-hmm. god, it's, oof, it's well, amazing. That's good. That's good to know, uh, because that's been a discussion we've had before, uh, when it comes to the mediumship, uh, with ghost investigations and stuff like that and mediums who, um, you know, it's kind of become a question that, or at least it was for a while. I know discussing about whether or not it was ethical, um, to, Mm -hmm. to move on a spirit kind of, I don't know, with the fear that maybe we didn't know what we were doing, you know, (laughs) So, but you're saying it's okay. It's up to the, I would think it's, it's still going to be up to the individual's person, whether they're going to really want to go or not, or they're ready. Yeah. Well, I think that it is ethical and it almost behooves you to do the right thing. (laughs) If a person is lost, you know, and you have Mm -hmm. the ability to point the right direction. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I had spirits in my house, you know, I moved into this house and, you know, I, some of the contactees I know are mediums. They're like, you have a ghost in your house. Are you aware of that? Like, well, that's why the light keeps going on. <laughs> Maybe I do. And so I popped out of my body once and that was my goal. Because usually, you know, I'm out of there. There are better things to do than to hang around yeah. on earth. And so I'm exploring the house. I'm like, well, I don't see anybody. And I'm going from room to room to room to room to room. And I'm like, well, I don't, I don't know. Go into the bathroom. And in the reflection of the mirror, I see someone standing behind me in the hallway. And I'm like, Whoa. Because, you know, it's startling. I turned around and there's this guy who's a little shorter than me. He's heavy set, not, not fat by any means, but, you know, a shorter heavy set guy with a round face. 
uh, dark hair, and a little bit of stubble. And he's like, I, so I come up and I'm like, what's your name? And he says, my name is Mac. I'm like, well, Mac, <laughs> don't know what you're doing here around my house, but I think you should go. There's another, you know, go to the other side. What are you doing here? You can't stay in my house. <laughs> and I grabbed him by the arm. And when you're not physical and another person is not physical, they feel physical. At least mm-hmm. that was my experience. And so I mm-hmm. grabbed his arm and I pulled him out and found another guy. Says, his name is Bill. <laughs> pulled him out. And as an end note to this, because it was really cool, a couple of, uh, I don't know, it was a month or two later about, not that far. I went to the other side, the lower realms. <laughs> but it's, you know, it goes up, up, up to these hotels that are gorgeous with, you know, marble floors and beautiful plants and paintings and it's just beautiful and i'm walking through there i'm like wow this is not quite the heavenly realms but it's darn close (laughs) and and there's people there and everyone's happy that's where i found my dad one day (laughs) had been looking for him for years but i'm walking along and this little kid is looking at me i'm thinking well gosh he looks familiar but i don't you know i'm i don't know who he is and our pads are kind of crossing and we get closer and closer and he looks at me He's like, hi, my name is Mac, and I love you. Oh. I'm like, Mac, I love you too. <laughs> but he had, you know, regressed wow. himself. You can, be, you, yeah. know, you can regress yourself to a little kid if you want. Be whatever I've done you it want. just for fun. Yeah. And I'm, looking, I'm like, hey, I'm little. <laughs> and wow, so was. you can take kind of whatever form you want, I guess, huh? Yeah, wear any clothes you want. Um, you can fulfill any fantasy you want to. You can, you can create thought forms. Mm-hmm. You know, in the beginning, I would create feasts of food because, you know, when you pop out of your body, it's called the desire body for a reason. And if you have any repressions that you haven't dealt with, you're going to deal with them there. And apparently I had some anger issues. Oh. I didn't know because I would just <laughs> lose my mind and I'd get really angry. I'd start wrecking everything, knocking mm, things over, punching. And then I had some food issues. <laughs> you know, I don't have an eating problem, but, you know, apparently we all have issues. And so I'd create feasts of food, of my favorite foods. Chicken nuggets, brownies, <laughs> sour cream, yeah. potato chips. Were you Neapol- the little kid cream. when you were eating all of this? <laughs> no. I was a full-on adult, but it was fun. It's funny because yeah. you eat, you know, you can eat the ice cream and it disappears. You know, can you can take a whole bag of potato chips and guzzle them, and it dis- disappears, kind of down your throat, and it's not fully satisfying because you don't fill up, mm. but you can sort of taste it. It's amazing. And then I had lust issues, and I won't get into the details, <laughs> <laughs> but it's a big part of it. And you save that for a own. different kind of podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Trust me, you'll encounter that as well, and it's all kinds of fun. It really is. It's amazing. So we did have a question earlier about this. Um, on a, this, like a skeptical kind of note, which is perfectly fine to ask these kind of questions. Sure. How do you know that those types of experiences are real versus artificially generated in some way by something else? Um, well, that's certainly a question that you will ask when it's happening to you the first two times. <laughs> You're like, gosh, is this is a dream. Mm-hmm. It looks real. And I would go to people I know and they would not see me. And you're feeling, gosh, am I making this up? And finally, I went to a place I'd never been physically near my house. 
dove under, you know, there's a the LA River. I lived in a condo at the time. And I went down into this river and I'm playing along it and I saw soil filling up the cement banks with plants growing out of it and, and trash. I'm like, well, that's got to be fake because this is a cement river. There's no way plants could possibly be growing here. But I know exactly where this is. I'm going to drive here and went back into my body, woke up, I'm like, had my coffee. <laughs> yeah. And then went there. I'm like, oh my God, that's what it's, there's something really eerie and cool about seeing something you saw out of body first. Mm -hmm. So I verified it to myself, there but I go. had the devil of a time proving it to people. Finally, mm -hmm. I, I'm like, i going to go see Dolly, who was in chat. I'm, like, I'm going to go out of body and just visit her. And I didn't tell her. Oh, yeah, I was about to say, did you give her a warning? <laughs> no, probably rude of me, but it is what it is. I'm sorry. I just did it. You, know, you don't invade people's privacy by any means because that's yeah. wrong. And you just yeah. got to have a high moral co code if you want to succeed at this. But I just wanted to see her. And I popped up. She's in Florida. I'm in California. And I go over to and I see her standing in this garage. Well, see, first I see this other guy. I'm like, what's your name? He's like, my name is Norman. I'm like, well, where's Dolly? Turned out. This was a ghost that was following her around. <laughs> oh, wow. But he's like, points to the door. He's like, she's over there. And she comes through the door and she's on the phone and she's not looking at me. And I'm like, hey, hey, <laughs> uselessly, because I know she's not going to see me. But she turns yeah. around, she, her eyes get really wide and, and she sees me. Oh, wow. Like, oh, oh, my God. And, I, and she says, she looks straight at me and says, I can't talk now. I'm being robbed. She's on the phone. Something. Oh my God! She's being robbed. How horrible! Um, and, and pulled me back into my body. And we were in. You know, I was interviewing her for the book. Mm -hmm. We'd become really good friends. And she calls me up the next day, and she's just talking. And I'm like, well, I guess she wasn't robbed. Because if I were robbed, that'd be the first thing I'd say. I'm losing my mind again. You know, it makes you doubt. You come. You, you go. You vacillate. But then she says, I saw you last night. You came to my house. I'm like, you did. What did you say? Because I heard you say something. And she says, oh, well, I was on the phone. You know, you came in the middle of the night. I happened to be up. And, and uh, she, so I was on the phone with this guy. His name is Rob. And I said, I can't talk now. I'm with Rob. I'm like, oh, well, thank God. Oh, with Rob, not being yeah. Rob. Oh. <laughs> so I misunderstood her. Oh, Thank goodness. Yeah. And to end this story real quick, a week later, I'm in bed and I'm like, why is my room filling with light? What is going on? And I wake up. <laughs> I'm lying in bed. You know, woke up in the middle of the night. Well, I'd just gone to bed, really. And uh, there's Dolly standing next to me, leaning over my bed, grinning from ear to ear with this golden aura that filled the whole room. I'm a full on apparition. And we've since shared out of body experience. I mean, she took me on a journey couple of times. Oh, wow. She's really good at it. So you so, can yeah. go with another person. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. interesting. So, so that's how I know it's real. But yeah, you can make up stuff and absolutely have your own fantasy. That, but it's all, dreams are real, by the way. We call them imaginary, but it's a real experience. And that will persist. It's still there. It's going to last longer than the physical world. <laughs> so it's kind of a, a, a trick question. And in fact, yeah. so is astral projection, because really we're returning home to our source. 
-hmm. Right now, we're projecting down into a physical body. That's the projection. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. When you're actual projection, you're going home, and you will know it the first second you get there. Like, wow, this is where we come from. This is where we belong. This is great. I don't. I never want to go. But yeah. of course, you have to because you're you're down here on Earth in school and learning yep. your lessons. Yeah. But yeah, you you'll you'll learn that it's real. But it's it can be a a journey. Well, we've we've almost come to the end of the night here, but uh, we had a question in chat, and I kind of wanted to roll that over into the last thing I want to ask you too. Uh, Apple Burrito asks. Um, you know, how long it takes to learn to do something like this. But I also wanted to throw in there, uh, I know uh, that you uh, have a book about this as well, and, I, and you've talked before about uh, uh, teaching others how to do that. So so briefly, how um, how long can someone expect to have to do? We touched that a little bit before. And, um, and, and what kind of things are included in your book that they can uh, go out to buy to uh, begin to try to do this? Well, how long does it take? I'll start with that. Uh, it can happen overnight, or it might take you up to a year. You know, I've had people who are like, I can't do it, I can't do it, I've been doing trying for a year. So it depends on a number of factors. How much effort you put forth is a big part of it. Mm -hmm. um, and if you're doing the exercises correctly, because physical relaxation is not easy for some people. Yeah, and you really have to learn Some how to do that. People really struggle. <laughs> yeah, I mean, because they sleep with their grinding their teeth and they're tossing mm -hmm. and turning, their fists are clenched. You have to learn how to relax, mm -hmm. and th then you have to learn how to mentally relax, and that's also not super easy. Yes, getting your brain but, to shut up is very hard. Yeah, <laughs> but if you put the effort forth and you really got you know the willpower and the desire and the intention and the focus. It shouldn't take you much more than a month or two. And if you do these exercises and you meditate on this for an hour a day, which is a long time to, you know, ask people to do it, 10 minutes if you don't have an hour. But, yeah, an hour a day, you'll be, I mean, it's going to happen. It's all about persistence. So I wouldn't expect it to take more than a couple of months. It took me a month and a half. But immediately I started having pre-lucid dreams and doubling my dream recall. I mean, I just took a geometric curve right into it so it doesn't take that long uh, and my book does cover how to do this i've covered it on my youtube channel as well okay. i'm going to put out another book shortly but my book covers my experiences from when it started in late you know about 88 or so all the way up to 2001 and then the next book will be from the next 20 years or so of 25 of my experiences but yeah of meeting spirit guides and oh gosh going to the other side and rescuing lost souls and meeting your you know enlightened masters and just really cool stuff the stuff learning about past lives it's a big 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 part of this oh wow well one that's something we would like to one get of my into. favorite subjects yeah because <laughs> we yeah, we well, have done past life uh, we will do uh and we have experience doing past life regressions here so that is uh, oh, wow. something a good topic that we could uh maybe discuss at some time down the road but what is the name of that book for people who are interested in trying to learn how to have out-of-body experiences well out-of-body exploring a beginner's approach and All i just right. put the link in the chat scroll yeah, up just i really lay it down a lot of books make it sound so easy but if you're not familiar with it there's definitely a you know a pathway to it 
Mm-hmm. And I named the obstacles, you know, fear, skepticism, and laziness. Overcome that, do the, the exercises, and you're on your way. Excellent. Um, and then just so want to re- the want last to thing I want to point. Okay. You want to but, relax to the point where you feel heaviness or lightness or dizziness or the, the vibratory state. And okay. then you want to relax mentally until you start seeing images and, you know, your thoughts will turn into pictures. And then you just got to do the visualizations, which is anything involving movement, like rolling over in bed or on a swing set or an elevator or running down a path or spinning in place. And you're there. It's, it's not hard to do. It's a three, four step process. And uh, CMC Airbus had, had made a statement earlier, and I, I wanted to bring that up real quick before we start winding up here. But he said, uh, he said, Preston is lucky I wake up after a traveling session and feel utterly exhausted. Is there any <laughs> advice you can give to uh, being coming more refreshed after uh, after traveling all night? You know, I just haven't had that experience. And a few people are like, well, gosh, it wears me out. So it's hard for me to really mm. comment on that because I, that hasn't been my experience. But I, I would ask some questions like, you know, is this something that is, you know, are you experiencing any resistance? You know, are, are you spending all night doing this? You know, how, how long are you experiencing? You know, I, I would have mm-hmm. to inquire because that has not mm-hmm. been my experience and I haven't really That's- dug into it. So I can't really advise on that particular aspect. But now you make me want to research it. Yeah. <laughs> I would say three things, CMC. I'm just going to take a wild guess here and say, get some sour cream potato chips. Make sure you get in the water, right? And then uh, and soak up that light, and maybe you'll have a, yeah. a, a, more, a little more refreshed yeah, You can actually there. go to the other side and just take a bath. It's so cool. Or lie on the beach. There's, you know, because there, there are astral lakes, and it's the craziest thing you've ever seen can float on the water and it's like oh my god people are just like isn't this nice you know we don't have Let's to go no <laughs> it's field mm. field trip yeah i have not i have not experienced uh i have to say for another time i've had some very slight experiences but maybe uh that's something i need to pick up and and, and try ourselves yeah. maybe some in our community maybe that's something we can work on uh kind of and we really could have a field here. trip there we go okay, yeah there we go we can have a, a group field trip yes CMC, I was going to tell you before we go, maybe you should set an intention that you would like to feel rested after you have your traveling session. Think about it before you go. Yeah, Yeah. I like that. Mm -hmm. Well, Preston, thank Uh, you so much for coming on the show. I had a blast talking to you tonight. Oh, thanks for having me on. Once again, there's like about a bazillion other things we could talk about. Um, before we do leave, when can we expect the next out of body experience book? You said it's coming. Yes. Well, right now I'm working on not from here, volume five, which is the UFO book, which mm-hmm. is almost complete. And that out of body book is next in line. So awesome. I'm hoping, you know, by April or May, and I'm going to put so out symmetry number next two. Year. Yeah. Oh, cool. So Dolly's story part two is coming out also. Yeah, because her experience awesome. is so extensive. If you're going to read one of my UFO books, that's the one I'd recommend. I already wrote it down. This is it right there. Cemetery, <laughs> and I want the healing one. Uh, yeah. Very cool. So you're making my Christmas shopping easy, Preston. <laughs> <laughs> you know, he's got 30 books, and you can just hey, there we go. pick a few, and they'll be, yeah. All right. Yeah, or check out my YouTube channel. If you're not into reading, I put out a lot of my research. 
I just went and subscribed to you while we were doing the, we were doing this. Yes. And we sh- I shared it, I think, about five times in the chat. So if you all missed <laughs> yep. it, that's your own fault. It's in chat. And if, it. and if you're listening uh, later uh, at a different time, at uh, a different place, uh, feel free uh, to check down below. And that will be in the description box as well. And go f- follow those things and, and check it out. Yes. And uh, thanks again, Preston. Uh, for coming on thank you everyone uh, for coming in and hanging out in chat tonight and uh and uh, bringing in some wonderful questions and and just creating an awesome community as always um and dolly herself was yes. here in the chat with us yes yeah very cool yeah we cool. have some connections going on there some chatting going on and uh and maybe some connections being made there so uh excellent everyone uh thanks again uh we will be uh, coming back next week is going to be our Christmas show. So, I mean, we're right around the corner. And then after that, we are going to have our uh, New Year's Eve predictions. predictions where we'll show. go over all the predictions that uh, were made last year. And then we'll have uh, some friends on to make predictions for 2024. Um, mm-hmm. We always welcome those. You can, uh, there's a channel in there. You can put your predictions in. And we're going to have some friends on. Who do we have uh, so far? I know that um, Priestess is coming on. Uh, Tarot Mama is coming on. So, and we'll have more. And I uh, think we might be hearing from Navnia as well. Okay. Well, that sounds yeah. excellent. All right. So thank you again so I'll, much. I'll make one more prediction. I'll make a prediction right now for next year. What's that? that? I probably will be buying all three of Preston's books. <laughs> there you go. Prediction for me. Excellent. <laughs> All right, everyone, take care and we will see you all next time.